Hi, everybody, and welcome to another interview over here at Behind the Asshole, where, you know, my name is Holden Stefan Roy, and I've been joined by this plethora of wonderful guests. Today, we have Jay Schreier with the little dollar sign in Ariton, and uh, he will be sharing knowledge and experiences with us. I'm personally super excited. Why? Well, I've had the pleasure of watching this man perform live, which is which is a good thing to be able to say. Um, so I happened to stand in line one time for a good 30 minutes. It was a long time. It was this Dax show. Y'all may know, not know who a Dax is, depending on whatever, but it was at La Belmont. So it was cool winter day, and I come inside. And then I watch, and I watch this young man over there get up on that stage. I, yo, he, he tore it up by himself. And when I say by himself, I mean there was no hype mans. It was, it was Jay Schreier getting lit on the stage. Now maybe at that moment I didn't fully uh, have heard his music before. I didn't listen to the words, but I can tell you one thing: the man has energy. So hold up. It looks like everything is just a little bit blurry there for you. Can you maybe uh, jump off the call and jump right back on? Oh no, you're good. Everything. The second I said that, you're good. Yeah, sure. Uh, no, no, you're good. Stay with us. Cool. Perfect. Um, so yeah, okay. I just I just had a blast fucking watching that, that performance. I thought it was really incredible. It was really high energy. Uh, the music was talented and uh, the man actually performed his vocals. Like he, he knew his songs and he spit them. So which I was, I was, all of this was very impressed. So then I proceeded to listen to it and I saw this blend of, you could call it the melodic new stuff, but he also makes sure to let y'all know he can rap in the same time, possibly on the same project. And I thought that versatility is cool. And it's also something I'm noticing a, a little bit more at the younger end, because let's be real, you're, you're on the younger end of things these days, which is totally amazing because your energy is just so crazily versatile. I think it brings a lot to the table. And I just wanted to commend you on that because I've been bumping your shit not just today i heard it like way way back we actually tried to set this up like six months ago and it just didn't happen um but i've been listening to it i listened to everything you've dropped since and i kind of like the vibes that you're creating i liked how in the pocket you are and uh as the interview picks up and more people come onto the feed, we'll definitely give them a little cut but we were just bumping your shit for a minute now um so on that note let's start the interview let's get into the first question this is uh it's awesome my shit has a little stories attached and whatnot it's gonna be tangential feel free to blabber away but basically what happened was one time my girlfriend's washing the dishes right and i'm listening to her and she's playing that black eyed piece on i got a feeling Ooh, that shit right there right now when i'm your age uh that is the hot shit that is what you do in shots in the club too that's the banging music now maybe it's not the banging music to you i i get it it's actually kind of a dorky song because now it's turned into moms doing chore music and that's just where it is you know that's kind of what happens to club music it turns into like moms doing chore music and whatever you like when you're young you kind of stick with it and i feel like when you're doing the boring in your life when you're in the car you want to go back to the goodest of times so i thought to myself a great place to start is the beginning of your musical journey what was the sounds that are happening inside of your home when your mom is doing the chores when you're in the car your dad like what were your parent influences because that's where it starts you're not you don't have an identity with it that's what you hear first i couldn't agree more um, so I could definitely say that my dad has always been a, a huge musical influence in my life. Uh, 
before I even started ever listening to music or thinking about rap around when I was like maybe seven or eight years old. Um, my dad would educate me on all the music that he listened to when he was a kid. And my dad actually back in the day was uh, he was a DJ at a nightclub in like the in the early 80s. Okay. Or, yeah, probably in sometime in the 80s. So definitely when I was a kid, the stuff he was playing for me was like the Red Hot Chili Peppers, um, Rush, Van Halen, um, like a lot of a lot of music like that, like for sure, uh, for sure. Like I, I never, I didn't even listen to rap to rap until maybe I was like nine or ten years old. So a lot of the early stuff that I was shown was like more along the lines of alternative and uh, r like rock and roll. We all stuff like, like that. okay, because like we grew up in like a different world now, right? So for me, when I'm growing up in the home, there's cassette tapes and like literally, I was at that age where I would. Um, basically record off the radios and then i moved into mp3s into high school and the cds and all of that stuff how is y'all consuming music when you're young right because i don't even know if a lot of us think about it this is a rare opportunity for me to pick your brain like that okay um definitely a lot of it was like in the car with cds like cds that was that was probably the vibe back then okay uh but even then like uh a lot a lot of it was youtube for sure like uh but for me like when i when i first started listening to music i had one of those you know like tiny mp3 players and i would just like torrent uh like illegal tracks onto onto an mp3 player so you're doing this from like how old were you like when you got into that kind of stuff like i would say like probably seven years old like i remember uh when i started like first grade I got like my first MP3, and I, when I would take the bus to school, uh, I would be listening to a lot of stuff. So it would, yeah, I would say it definitely started first grade when I was like seven, eight years old. So you're already forming a bit of a musical identity in your own tastes as of like seven years old, for real. That's crazy. Yep. Um, and what about your mom? What kind of stuff was she into? Because that would have been like the other side of it a bit. Oh, well, I would say in terms of like the music that I ended up listening to, I was definitely influenced more from my father. But uh -huh. uh, in terms of like what my mom, what my mom would listen to, she liked stuff like, um, what were they called? Oh, fuck. Can Canadian legend band. Can't remember the name. The Can't, oh, hip. the Tragically Hip. She's a big ah. fan. Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, so she's a, she's a, she's a big fan of them. Uh, she, she liked like a lot of stuff that my dad liked too, but in terms of like, uh, she, yeah, she, she likes like bands like Aerosmith. She likes James Taylor stuff, like stuff like that. So that's crazy that like, cause even if like, maybe you're more inspired by what your dad was bumping, it's still, uh, you know, your lady friend, Bonnie said Gord Downey. That's the, the lead man at Tragically Hip. Um, but, uh, even if, Legend. Even if you're inspired, like you more by one side than the other, the reality is you're still exposed to it. And that's more like you still hear it. It still mm -hmm. gets consumed by it. And I think it's so interesting how you're currently a pretty diverse hip hop artist, but really the inception of your stuff is a lot more on the rock stuff. It's not really like that. So how do you end up discovering hip hop? Like what is going on when you're like seven or eight? Like I guess with YouTube, because YouTube must have been a part of your life then forever. Yep, I, I I remember I got my first Facebook account when I was in second grade at about eight years old. That's nuts. Um, this was like right around the time. I know it's crazy. This is right around the time that Facebook was created, and 
just around then I had one of like those old computers, like a box computer with like the keyboard that makes like the sound when you type it, like an old ass keyboard. And I remember it started with Facebook and then uh, gradually I would come home uh, every single day from school and I would like instantly just hop on the computer, I'd go on YouTube. And what I, this is actually what's so funny is what started with me f discovering music on YouTube was that mad TV sketch, Can I Have Your Number? <laughs> okay. No, I know that one. That's crazy. So I used to come home. I used to, I used to come home every day and I would watch that skit, I swear, on repeat. And then by the time I got sick of it, I would just like scroll and I would find music and like stuff that I knew I liked at the time. And then like it kind of just all evolved. So in a sense, you can say that the algorithms have fed your musical habit since a youth. That's yep. crazy. So like... Were you like ever creating YouTube videos and stuff back when you were young or are you just consuming this stuff? Like, I don't know. That's funny you say that. I have, <laughs> there's one YouTube video of me from when I was 10 years old, okay? This is the, this was like the year where the Habs, uh, it was like Carey Price's worst year he ever had. It was when he was like addicted to blow, like alcoholic, like worst player, worst goalie in the NHL year. Right. And. I made a I made a video basically making fun of Carey Price, uh, like basically saying that he gets drunk before the games. So this this is when I was this is when I was ten. Yo, you could search it up if you type in Carey Price drunk. You could see the video. That's amazing. It's amassed over it's amassed over twelve thousand views. <laughs> That's crazy. So, I you have to read the comment section. All the comments were French Canadians and diehard Montreal fans tearing me apart tearing me <laughs> so how did you respond to that kid. so how did you respond to that being a 10 year old kid getting criticism like that um i think i was I, I read through all the comments honestly um i've always had a pretty good sense of humor about myself but i didn't even realize how funny it was until i showed like my older cousins the comments and they were dying like they, they they're my cousins are all older than me they were dying they I, they swear they to this day have never read anything funnier in these comments ripping a 10 year old kid and they basically just told me to laugh it off they're like like obviously like these people are losers if they're like full-grown adults hating on a 10 year old you know what i mean so it's like they're like just you know ignore it so that's crazy because like i don't know that many of us at least in my age group had ever the opportunity at such a young age to get that level of criticism and I think it's, first of all, really cool that you put yourself out there so young. Also crazy that you were able to. It's kind of weird that you were able to create a video like that at 10. I don't know. Was your parents involved in that? Like, did, I know. Or did you just like upload this I, shit? I, sh <laughs> I shot it on a digital camera. Um, like literally how you used to have to upload freaking YouTube videos to YouTube. So you'd have to take out the SD chip from a digital camera and put it into your computer. <laughs> And then upload it. So like it was the, the actual upload process was like was actually like work. Like if you wanted to do it, this is gonna take a couple hours. You know what I mean? So you really wanted to have to get that video out there. But you did that. I guess um it was more accessible to you. Um you grew up in Montreal? Or did you yep. grow up somewhere Born else? Born and raised. What, what part of Montreal are you from? I lived like m more than half of my life in uh in NDG. Uh, okay. I spent uh, a couple years in uh, in St. Henry. I lived there for like two or three years. Um, my parents got divorced when I was like twelve or thirteen. So then my mom was living like in uh, in like Lower West Mountain. My dad was living in St. Henry, so I was living back and forth. And then uh, yeah, but mo most of my life I lived in NDG.
that's fresh. I'm currently in NDG, so for me, that's home base, and that makes it like we kindred spirits and shit. Um, what high school did you go to? Just for, just for like the sake of having it on wax for your wiki page exactly. one day. Got to represent. Uh, which one was it? Yo, can you hear me? Um, I went to uh, Royal Vale for grade seven. Okay. Um, I eventually ah uh, Royal Vale. Right. So I went to I went to Royal Vale for grade seven. Um, I ended up leaving just because at the time it was completely like French immersion, and my French isn't the best. Um, and then I ended up going to Westmount High for grade eight and nine. Okay. Uh, I, I got involved in some sort of situation in grade nine where I basically got expelled, but like not really. And I was on like this stupid academic probation or whatever. So after, after I finished grade nine, I went back to Royalville for grade four, uh, grade, sec four and sec five. And I, I ended up graduating from Royalville. All right, fresh. So let's go back a bit in time, though, because, I mean, already you at 10 years old have a, a pretty fascinating thing going on. You've uploaded a YouTube video. You're already able to navigate the world of torrenting um, or at least consuming music. Uh, so what are some of your favorite early artists that you came to appreciate, like the beginning of your musical identity? Um, so always from the get-go, it's been the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Huh. Huge fan. Um my dad even took me to see uh, the band Rush when I was like seven years old. Like I went to my first concert when I was seven. That's really cool. And uh, I, <laughs> I, I was so young that I think like by halfway through the act, I actually fell asleep like at the show. Like I fell asleep in a rock show. <laughs> I don't know how that happens, but it did. Oh, that's fair enough. And then um, in terms of, in terms, in terms of early hip hop though. Um, I remember since the first time I listened to Eminem and G Unit, I've always wanted to be a rapper. <laughs> so what, um, how old are you? There's even I, I just turned twenty in September. No, I mean, how old were you when you first discovered M and Fifty and G Unit oh, and all that? Probably like eight years old. That's crazy. I was like, yeah. There's there's literally a picture of me from when I was that age with a sideways hat, fake gold chains posing like thought i was so gangster at eight years old <laughs> i like that you own it i really respect that about you i like that you're like completely self-aware of what that looks like and you're just totally fine with it and that's pretty cool that's some uh i i used it as a i i used it as a cover art for the first song i ever released on soundcloud i was like it doesn't get realer than that <laughs> that's amazing um so yeah, so you basically you got the Eminem and G Unit stuff. You're into the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And when do you start to like actually go? Okay, so I want to be a rapper. When do you actually start doing something like creating music for the first time? Um, so I would say that the time it really it started with um, most people decide they want to be a rapper before they know they can rap. Okay. If, I think that's become pretty apparent in 2020, 2020, 2020. It's become more apparent that everybody just wants to be a rapper, regardless of if they could rap or not. Mm. So it was the inverse for it was the inverse for me. I learned that I was able to rap before I decided I wanted to be a rapper, and I actually gave it like a solid amount of time before I was like, "This is what I want to do." So tell us more about that. Like. I think uh, for sure. So uh, I started I started uh, smoking weed at a pretty young age. I would say like 
13, 14, 14 years old. And I think that's how any any rap career gets started. It's like you get high, you hit the blind, go, bro, I could be a rapper. <laughs> you, know what I, you know what I mean? Like, that's how it always starts. And it was one day I was just with like, I was with my friend and his older brothers. Uh, my Me and my friend at the time were like 14. His brothers may be like 17 or 18 at the time. We were all just chilling. And uh, they were like freestyling at the time too. Like they, they like just like fucking around making like freestyles, just, you know, trying some shit out. And I rapped and they were like, yo, you're actually not bad. Like this is a 14 year old white kid who's like never rapped in his life, never opened his mouth, never wrote a song, nothing. And I freestyled and they actually told me I was good. And I think I definitely, I definitely credit uh, me currently being a rapper to probably my lack of being like, or even not lack of, but lack of excelling at a specific thing, right? Like you could be like kind of good at a bunch of things, but not being like great at one thing. Right. So I think that's what, that's when I started to realize was like, I freestyled, they were like, oh, you're pretty good at it. And then just as it kept, kept going and we kept doing it, I kept getting better. And that's why honestly, like people don't know it yet. Cause I haven't, I haven't done it yet, but I'm the self-proclaimed best freestyler in Montreal. I don't care what I'm all like off the top, off the top. I would I mean, say I know, I know some cats. Okay, I got I got to say I could put you against some cats if you really want to test that. I'm saying some OGs if you really really want to do it. You want to give us a taste right now, or you know what? You want to save that for later, or you want to give us a little taste? Uh we could we could save it. Like what what, okay. what I like what I like doing. What I like doing is uh like beats where like uh it has like a word generator on it so it could mm. throw you any word and you have to like rap like one line like you can't use the you can't use the word you're rhyming with as the first word like you have to like spit a little bit and it has to come to the word so that's what i've been doing recently okay and even uh even recently i put up like a challenge on my instagram i was like I i'm willing to put up 200 dollars to anybody who thinks they could beat me in a freestyle competition off the top and no one wanted to take the challenge. So, I mean, I know some cats who would definitely take you up on that. That uh, have, because you know, I participated in this thing called End of the Week. Um, and now End of the mm -hmm. Week has like it's a global movement. Uh, you may have seen Le Fin de Febla that got advertised recently. This French hip hop thing that uh, hits it's hitting TBS. Uh, they're kind of a, a model of End of the Week, and it's a it's a bit of a challenge. So there's a round that's a written a cappella over a beat, uh, written a cappella, a round that's uh, written over a beat. Then there's a round that's called the grab bag. So this is where motherfuckers like I'll be in the room and I'll like hold up the thing and it'd be like oh he got a microphone and i'm in the you know and then, then the next thing flashes up and they have to like kind of roll with it and then there's a round where the dj mm -hmm. fucks up with the beat a lot and you gotta ride the beat while the dj's changing tempos and flipping shit on you and then the last round is the most important round it's where you cipher and four bar four bar four bar past the mic type shit now currently it's all on zoom call so it's fucking weird and clunky but i've been watching some very talented people pull this shit off with eloquence and grace so i personally would love to see you try this if you want and go in there and, and see what you see what it, see how you hold it down i mean i believe that you're capable i'm just saying this exists and if you want that opportunity man i can like send you the details after and you can check that shit out but i think you might fucking like it sure and uh, a lot of it you gotta is, check it out there is a lot they have a thing on thursdays where it's just off the domes it's like basically just off the domes over beats and uh 10 o'clock jump on a zoom okay. call and it's fucking fire um 
anyhow, I just like, uh, I figured it was cool to let you know that that existed. You know, we share knowledge up in here. Um, so tell us though a bit more about like that, like freestyling and shit. So where were y'all getting beats? Cruising the YouTubes? Were you all into like the remixes of the popular mm -hmm. songs? Cause you would have been like getting into music then while that shit was like starting to really become, you know, more mainstream with all the instrumentals appearing. Tell us a bit more about that part when you're like early teens doing this shit, I guess. So definitely uh, a big part was just like YouTube beats type beats like stuff like that mm. but definitely to like uh tracks that were just coming out at the time like using the instrumentals from them like when i was like just starting out freestyling like the song that i would like practice freestyling over all the time was like check by young thug like okay that came out a minute ago <laughs> that was that was so i was just using that instrumental to to practice freestyling practice writing for like the longest time that's fair enough. So you're into, uh, were you always into like the stuff like Young Thug as much as other kinds? Like, do you have like a particular type of hip hop at that point that you like more than others? Honestly, I've never even really been a fan of Young Thug. That was just like, happened to be the beat that okay. I was starting to work with. But what kind of, um, so is it like more of that old school shit that you were bumping back then? Or were you into more of the newer stuff as well? Around that time, uh, J. Cole was, like, just becoming my favorite artist. He had just released, like, 2014 Forest Hills okay. Drive. And so I was bumping that all the time. And then once I had listened to that album, like, 10 times, I went back and listened to his earlier stuff. And I was like, okay, like, this guy is it. You know what I mean? Like, that was the type of vibe I've always been on is, like, more conscious but still has, like, you know, like, that turn-up element involved into it. So definitely J. Cole was probably the biggest one and then from j cole i went to kendrick and from kendrick i went to like joey badass and from joey badass i went to like chance the rapper and then from chance the rapper i started listening to like a lot of kanye and then from kanye i was listening to a lot of drake and so on and then just the cycle continues that's really fascinating and this was all like driven by like youtube and were you like following the news of what's going on in the world of the dramas of this shit or were you just like oh, oh a better question does a music video matter to you back then? Like, were you bumping the shit with music videos or were you just bumping the tunes? No. No, I, I don't think I cared at all for music videos at the time or, like, it made no difference to me. It was kind of just, like, um, if I saw a music video, I'd be like, I want that. Like, I want to live like that. I want to have that lifestyle more type of thing than it was, like, nowadays when I see a music video, I'm like, I either A have that or b i've seen that too many times or like c it's been every i, I find like there's like a definite lack of originality when it comes to music videos nowadays so when i see right. one that's actually original it definitely catches my eye but you know what's really interesting about what you said right because you're young and you're consuming this music videos i'm assuming you're talking about more of the decadent lifestyles the you know that might be a polite way of putting mm -hmm. it uh, and you're saying it influenced you. You're saying like you looked at that and it became like some level of ideals for a young you. Uh, maybe I'm putting words in your mouth. Let's say yeah. I'm asking if that's what happened a little bit. Because I don't think we think well, like, about it, this type of shit. I, I, I definitely agree with you. Like when I think about it, it's definitely like a very subtle process. Like it starts with like, uh, like, I already smoked weed and then you would go and watch a music video and be like, Oh, my favorite rapper smokes weed, like little stuff like that. And then it starts with like, now you're like 15, 16 years old. And like, now you're starting to drink a little bit. Right. And then you go and watch the music video and they have all these bottles of Henny, but you could only afford like 
ten but ten dollar a ten dollar bottle of like the cheapest vodka so now you're like i i want to try the henny and then once you try the henny you're like it's just it's just another alcohol you know what i mean <laughs> and then you're just like well now i want the diamond chain and then you get the diamond chain and you're like now i want the rolex <laughs> like it just it keeps it keeps going you know what i mean it's a it's a cycle of materialism that has been instilled into hip-hop kind of and i feel like it like subtly influences the viewer Damn, that was pretty profound, dude. And I like the fact that you shared that with us because, I mean, again, we don't often get the opportunity to hear from somebody who went through that as a young age, right? Like, it's different than when I grew up, right? That shit was gated heavy. So we're talking, like, late-night MTV. Now, if I was up at 11, that's on my parents maybe, right? But for you, it's just, like, literally just in your face the whole time. So I think that's really fascinating in regards to uh, just that you were willing to share. Um so let's move on a little bit into, I guess, the, we'll get to the music video originality in a little bit. But what I'm really curious about is when you started to, like, go from just freestylings to, like, I'm going to take this shit a little bit serious. And what was the catalyst that drove that forward? Okay, so I, this, is, this is what happened for me is that it got to a point where, like, every time I would meet somebody new or I would see somebody that I haven't seen in a long time, all I would want to do is like show off the fact that I now knew how to rap. That's like all I wanted to do. I'd meet, I'd see somebody I haven't seen in like three years, like, oh, how you doing? And I'd be like, I could rap now. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like type, type, type of vibe like that. Like I would just want to be able to show off like my, my newfound skill. And then it got to a point where it'd be like, you would meet up with someone and like, you don't want to kill the vibe by being like, oh, let me freestyle. You know what I mean? Like it, it, it gets annoying after some point. So I figured the best way to showcase the fact I knew how to rap was to start making music. So how, and, uh, how did you go about like yeah, that process of like starting it? Um, so I wrote and recorded my first song when I was 17 in my first semester of CJEP. So I had, I was in, uh, the law program at Dawson and the work, the workflow was like very demanding. It was like, eight hours of school every day, come home another four hours of homework. It's like I was spending half my day just doing schoolwork pretty much. And I'm a huge procrastinator, especially when it comes to doing anything schoolwork or anything involved in that area. And I just constantly found myself to distract myself and not have to do my homework. I was just writing music. Okay. And they got to a point where I was actually using music as a distraction from having to do my schoolwork and study and all this until it got to a point where like, I was spending like four hours a day when I should have been doing homework, just making music. So you just felt like you put in, so do you have like a lot of shit that you recorded that never saw the light of day and all that kind of stuff? Or was it like a gradual thing? Or did you like take all the time to polish it all up perfect? How did that go? Like, how is your like early recording process like? Uh, so when I first started, there was definitely lack of funds was an issue i didn't have money to be going to the studio whenever i wanted or to have anything mixed or mastered or even to have any like original beats made so i had found this studio at the time they're still up and running and they they're like it's a very cool uh very cool spot uh it's a government subsidized program uh that gives kids between the age of like 12 and 18 free studio time in like the cote de area okay which is it called when when i uh, it's called NBS Studio. Okay, cool. So yeah, keep going. So I had started going there. I had started going there. Um, like I said, I didn't have money for like uh, original production or anything like that. So I just made 
a remix to a song I was feeling at the time, like Rolling Peace by Kodak Black. And I ended up making a remix to it. And I was like, I, like, I just wanted to get it out there. I recorded it. I listened to it. Uh, I had it mixed a little. I maybe went back and like polished it a little. And then I just, I dropped it on SoundCloud. And uh, that, that was the start of it for sure. Once I released that first track, the feeling I got from like people uh, listening to it, giving me feedback, telling me they liked it, I knew I had to keep doing it. And people were generally receptive to it. Well, a wise person once told me that you will never receive love in your career until like you're famous, like you do on your first track. <laughs> the second after the after the first song, everything just goes downhill. That's. Uh, that's a very relatable sentiment. I remember I got like a crazy fucking, I think I pulled like 500 views in a day and I was like, oh, this is 2012 for me. I think yeah. It never happened again like that to this day. Well, I mean, on That's YouTube, what I'm saying. Like it's just not, not to like yeah, downplay my it. stuff, but like the facts is, is what you said is some real expectation management shit. And I appreciate you sharing yep. that level of knowledge with us. So yeah, sorry to cut you off. Thank you. But, yeah, uh, no worries. Um, I think I think I got like something like like you said, like 500 streams on SoundCloud in like a day or two. Got a bunch of likes. Everybody's resharing it. People telling me it was fire. Oh, I didn't know you could rap like that, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I just knew I had to keep it going from there and like keep building my way up and eventually, you know, finding my own sound and getting my own production, better studios, stuff like that. You know, but so, that so, was definitely the start. So you did your first track. And then how do you go about finding your sound? What is the next move for you? Let's break it down. I think the most important part of finding your own sound is finding a producer who believes in you. And literally since I first started, the most like, uh, the most, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, I would say the thing that I was looking for most was a producer who would believe in me and would take the time to sit down with me in the studio, make stuff from scratch, ask me what I'm feeling, what I want out of the track, the vibe I'm going for. Stuff like stuff you can't get from just searching type beat on YouTube. You know what I mean? Like the, I think that's the first most important step to finding your sound. So you're saying like straight off the bat, you didn't ever go down the path of taking beats from other people. You went with your own unique creations. Now, uh, but but you had somebody like literally build the beat for you in the studio. So you haven't actually like, mm -hmm. so in my case, I've just gotten beats I liked. Not necessarily like, I mean, I have a guy and he knows my sound, so he makes them for me now. But like in the beginning, I just kind of collected the rights to beats and it sounded cool. I got rap on it, but I could own it. That was important to me back then. Um, it's still important to me now. Uh, but really, I like the idea of coming in with the freshness because as time went on, my engineer and I got to know each other a little bit better. And basically, he's able to just whip shit up that feels like it was just designed for my weird eclectic self, right? So I can empathize and fuck heavy with what you're saying about that and validate that you definitely are on to the right truth with the fact that you should find somebody, but how do you actually find that person, right? Because that's the hard part. It's super easy to be able to walk into the room and be like, I, I found somebody, whatever. But like, how did you find that person? What did you do to make that happen for yourself? Well, it's definitely a process that was built over time. Like even as I keep going on, I meet new people, people who believe in me more than even the last person I was working with. So it always, it, it, it always like varies, right? 
But the way I found the first person who believed in me and was actually helping me build my sound was through the same studio I was recording at. Everything just, I, I'm a firm believer that everything happens for a reason, right? You're at, a, you're at the right place or the wrong place at the right time or the wrong time. Right. So same, same thing. I'm in this studio. I walk in, I finish my session. Four guys I've never met before come in. They're like, if you want to stay for like an hour so you could sit in on our session. Okay. I was like, sure. I ended up sitting in. They make an amazing song. It's the song. The song's out now. I'm featured on it. It's called Hidden Bounce by uh, Yeni Yuka and Aman. Okay. And they did a sick job. They they made the song on the spot. They had someone came come in and play live saxophone like in the studio for the track. Like it was just a really cool process. And then like they eventually just asked me. They're like, "You want to hop on the verse?" I was like, "Sure." It's my first time collaborating with anyone. And then as the time went on, we released the track. We ended up making another song together called Fuzzy Bunnies, which to date is one of my biggest songs. And like, so people kind of know me for, uh, okay. it's what a lot of people know me for. And that the, the guy who produced both songs, a man, he, him and I sat down and he was letting me record at his house for free. He was producing songs for me for free. He just like completely believed in me. And he's the one who's responsible for my entire project, Insomnia. He produced all four songs. And from there, that's where I feel like I created my best body of work. So from there, hold on, hold I on. That I, out, I wanna... more people were reaching out to me about wanting to work. And now even today, um, I work with like multiple different producers and they all believe in me on the same level that Aman did. And we record together, produce beats for me, they engineer it for me. So I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm pretty close to finding my sound. And that, but that's, that in my opinion is the most important part of the process is just finding people who believe in you and want to work with you and help you build your sound. So if we really unpack what you just said in that, you need to A, be out there because that wasn't just like random. You found a studio at some point. Were you going to studios? Which studios have you gone to? Or was this like recording? Where did you end up recording? Yo, can can you hear me? Sorry, could you repeat that? Do yeah. Think, do you think? Yeah, you I can could, hear you. Do you it's think you could, could? you? Do you think you could jump off the call and jump back on, and that should probably fix the lag issue? It'll take a quick second. Uh, basically, you put yourself out there. Which studios did you end up uh, actually recording at at this time? Um, I went. I met. I went to Makeway a few times. Um, but I would say majority of the time, it's it's home studios for sure. People like producers and engineers who have their own setup at their house. Mm. So you're like, so when it comes to sound, then uh, at this time, are you looking for perfection or, or like getting it done mentality? Like, what's your brain at with quality wise? I believe that the average consumer, or especially people who don't make music, they're not going to listen to a sound and critique like the like the mix or the master of the song. You know, right. they're more interested in like does the beat slap is the song catchy that's all that really matters right as long as it doesn't sound like the the vocals are muffled or like it's like like you know like you want it to sound crispy and whatnot but at the end of the day i think it's more important to get the music out there and you could always improve on your next song than just sitting on stuff and trying to make it perfect when in reality and until like you're up there most people don't really care you know it's better to have more content out so you basically are young. You, you're in like you're, you in Sage, you said I believe doing this. You bang out yep. your first track. When do you go from 
fucking around with the group or was that did you have solo stuff out under your name outside of that remix or was that group thing more of the first thing you did no oh okay so yeah so um i released uh the remix that was my first song i then went back and i recorded another song with one of the producers who was at the studio we released i released that song it's called different person it's on my soundcloud and then after that that's when i moved into working with these guys that i met at the studio and that's when i started becoming a little more like legit with it and like we had releases on spotify and it was like the first stuff i was putting out on spotify and apple music i did my first music video with them put that out on youtube it got like in the, in the, in the past year it's gotten like ten thousand views in a year with like no promotion no ads nothing so this is a year ago that you put out your, I guess you're at your 20. So at this point you're in Sejep and all this, uh, fair enough, fair enough. Um, so you put this out a year ago. Um, are you running your own stuff or are you like letting other people manage you at this point? How does like all of this come together? Like, how are you actually Matt, dealing with this situation? Cause it seems like there's a lot of moving pieces. Um, so I had somebody who was helping me. Yeah as uh, my quote-unquote manager for a little bit he's actually uh the person who runs the page one track mind okay so uh i've been with him i've been with like him and i have been friends for like 10 plus years so at first when his page was like was just beginning i was one of the only rappers that he knew so he was kind of helping me out with some stuff he helped me get like a show or two um helped me make a few connects but for the for i would say like 99 0.8% like I've done everything myself in terms of getting shows organizing shows putting stuff out It's it's really on me. So hold up you have both performed a bunch and you've organized shows So we're gonna have to stop and talk about this just a little bit um, When's your first performance? That's a good question first performance. Oh I did like a tiny performance like for 12 of my friends and three people who were organizing like kind of like a social networking event for their Instagram page. Um, so yeah, I performed for like 15 people on like crappy mic, crappy speakers, you know what I mean? Just like basically just wanted to like bring that energy and share with my friends, show them what I've been working on at the time. Uh, that was in June of 2018. Okay. Or no, in, in May of 2018. And right after the show was done, we all went to see Joey Badass live. So I kind of, I kind of got uh, outperformed that night. <laughs> That's pretty cool, but it's still cool. Right? Like, not only did you get to perform, but you got to bop out and see one of your favorite rappers because I believe you brought him up earlier as one of your influences. You like? Was it a good mm -hmm. show? Did you like the Joey Badass show? He's uh, he's good enough. I saw him live twice, a year apart, for the same album. Okay, that's that's big words. Which album was this? All American Badass. Yeah, it's a pretty good album. I enjoyed that one. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, uh, yeah. Joy Badass is pretty cool. Um, but let's talk more about your performing. Did you practice for that, or was it like impromptu? You jump up. Are you like a the, the comb? Uh, at first, like when I had never like touched a mic and done it live, I was like, I was practicing a lot just so I made sure not to mess up my lyrics. You know what I mean? Like then from once you have the lyrics down now you try to like look cool like you're doing it with no effort you know what i mean but pretty much at first i was practicing just to like have it down so i'm able to remember everything that i've written and it comes out cleaning and clear and whatnot but definitely as 
I evolved as a performer. I started to give less of a fuck and just realized it was about bringing the rage. That's uh, that's all anybody cares about is having a good time. That's honestly more important than how you look, anything. Okay, let's talk about that, Mark, because this is some shit where, um, I don't know, I think a lot about performances, and I'm probably still on that like camp where I I practice, right, before every performance. I got to do my mm -hmm. lyrics right. I got to have no like fucking vocals under it. Do you put vocals under your shit? Like, do you rap over your verses? Um, when I when I started out, I was completely doing like just the instrumental, like play the instrumental in the back, writing completely, uh, rapping completely over it, no vocals, like no background vocals. But as I evolved as a performer and I started to bring more energy and I was trying to like hype man my own shit, it was kind of hard to hype man my own stuff and like, you know, like do drops and try to get like the crowd lit when you also have to like rap every single word. Like it's it's not possible. Like there's a reason why uh, rap, like famous rappers when they perform, why they either have a hype man or they have their back vocals going. It's cause it's, a, it's all about crowd interaction at the end of the day. That's what people are paying to see you for. Yo, that's an amazing fucking knowledge nugget. That is cool that you said that. Um, tell us a bit about how you interact with the crowd then. Give some people the advice on what they could do to get a crowd to go litty. Okay, well, just to preface that, this guy has a picture, right? I think you did the show in Vancouver from what I saw in the caption. And you see him <laughs> fucking turned around. And I'm not going to lie. There are easily a clean 300 people behind him looking like they fucking are gone. Right? And you just see him with the camera up like that fucking ready to go. And I'm just like, holy shit. Yo, nobody has a crowd like that. You know what I'm saying? And I just saw like... What he's describing, I can validate that, at least in that little caption, you really did seem to have the crowd completely fucking at your fingertips. So anyway, go back onto your tips. I just wanted to co-sign your shit a little bit. That's, that's, I appreciate you, but that's, that's so funny that you said Vancouver because I know exactly which picture you're talking about. It says BC, not a mask in sight. So every, yo, I, I literally made that caption on purpose because I knew it was going to trigger so many people. That picture was from when I opened for Dax, and the caption BC was before Corona. That's <laughs> and amazing. Everybody, th everybody thought that I meant like I was in Vancouver, BC during the pandemic performing for a crowd of that many people with no masks on. <laughs> I, I basically trolled for a little. I trolled like the one time I trolled. <laughs> oh my God, did it work well? Did you get a lot of interactions? Yeah, I got a ton of comments on the post. People are like, you're so socially irresponsible. I can't believe you do something like that, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, this was in December of 2019. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, I really I really appreciated that because uh, I didn't even like think twice on it. Um, I mean, I just saw the picture. And I'm like, first of all, the picture looks lit. And uh, then you just like, you have that like fucking thing. Yeah, you got me. You definitely got me. I'm not, not going <laughs> to um it worked it worked that's cool though i love the way you're thinking about social media let's talk on that um <clears throat> one of the bigger conversations that go on now in my life is the role of being an influencer versus being an artist right so mm -hmm. you're of this new generation basically since you've been making music influencers influence over all of this shit do you see yourself as a musician first do you see yourself as an influencer do you think that like you have like i don't know let's talk tell me your feelings on this a little bit okay so i am definitely an artist first 
I don't think that I'm in any position where the way I live or even my normal life would influence anybody. Mm. Um, but that's the thing about social media, right? Like my most recent photo, when I picked up my chain, I took a photo of me in a jewelry store with a bunch of drip on with my chain holding like three bands to my ear, right? That's not how I live every day though. But that, that, that one picture could influence someone to be like, I need to get my money up. I need to go get my first chain. I need this. I need that. So in a way it could have influenced somebody, but not, not on like a social level, like on the level of maybe it reaches out to, it like hits home to a couple of people. But until, until you're living in a way that the average human doesn't live, I don't think you're in a position to be influencing anybody. That's a fucking fascinating answer. Like, I believe you gave one of the first um, interesting defenses of faking wealth that I've ever heard. Meaning you look at it like if you can have you see this and you want this, you'll try harder to go get this. Now, like, how did you get to that decision? Right? Because that is not my inherent feeling on that. So I want to understand yours better because I would never have thought of it. Okay, well, a, I'm, I'm a firm believer, like, like Jay-Z said, uh, he said, you on the internet holding money to your ear, that's a disconnect. We don't call that money over here. Meaning if you're really rich, okay. if you're really rich, okay. you're, if you're really rich, you're not going to be on the internet flexing cash, right? You have accounts with millions of dollars. You have investments ties up and tied up in stocks, everything like this. You're actually rich, right? You don't need to flex your money on the internet, but you can't post your bank account info to the internet, right? How is, how is you just, basically the goal of it all is to be at a point where you don't have to say you're rich, right? That's, that's the, that's the ultimate goal is being rich to the point. You don't have to even tell anybody or say it because like Jay-Z, everybody knows he's rich, right? He doesn't even have, he never has to wear designer again a day in his life. <laughs> but I guess so from your point of view, it's just now a kind of normalized thing that part of the grind is flexing wealth in an admission. You don't have it. Is that kind of like how you see it a little bit or not necessarily like that? Um, let me rephrase that. But getting these images that flex away that look really cool is like worth capturing these moments in almost like this is my dream. This is what I'm trying to obtain. That's that's a better mm -hmm. way to word the question. I guess uh, I could I couldn't agree more. Definitely. It's it's like I'm not going to say fake it till you make it. But it's like you want you want to project the lifestyle that you want to have. Right. Okay. So, so, uh, also more so it's motivational, right? Like I could like proudly say a year ago, I did not have a lot of money. I was pretty broke. And in a year, just by putting a lot of work in hustling, working all the time, got, got my money up. And then I was able to afford freaking a useless piece of jewelry, but I got it cause I wanted to. <laughs> so I guess in that so point. It's like, like just because you were able to have a reason to be in the store in the first place, you just kind of created this moment to look at so that you could see your future. Exactly. Or even look back and like, I, my main goal is to be able to look back in a few years and laugh at my current self. Yo, that's fascinating, right? Because I can kind of relate to it a little bit more now. So thank you very much for sharing your train of thoughts, yo, because that's what this is about. Maybe a little bit of a bridging that generational gap a bit. Because I would never have thought about the idea of taking that picture. But if like, let's say I wasn't a rapper and I didn't have my old man keep real, real shit going on, right? 
I've been in so many goofy moments of pretend and capturing these photographs just for the gram, just for the fucking fun of it, that in a sense, it's not really any different. You're just being a normal person. And I think that's fucking cool. Really, like that's at the end of exactly, the day. Exactly, yeah. And you know what? If I end up in a place like I, I like if I end up like no looking fly in a moment, okay, cool. Then put that picture out and let the let people think what they want. And well, exactly. Like what it what it comes down to is just being a normal person. Like I've met a ton of famous rappers and I've never fangirled before. It's like at the end of the day, they're just another human being exactly like me. It's just more people know who they are. Okay, that's us, it. How did you meet a bunch of famous rappers? Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, well, before I was a little, before I was a little more serious about my craft, um, I was going to a lot of concerts. Like that's, that's how I, in my opinion, I became such a good performer is because I've seen so many legendary artists live and like, I've taken bits and pieces from all of their performances and incorporated it into like my set pretty much. So who would be like your top three or four main influences in that regard? So J. Cole was the best show I've ever seen live. Like I was sitting in the absolute nosebleeds and he has such a way of connecting with the audience. I felt like I was right in front of him. Okay. Like I, I was at the top of the arena. He's down here. And I felt like we were face to face and he was having a conversation with just me in like an arena full of 20,000 people. That's the one where you like told that deep personal story for a big old minute before he jumped into the track. Exactly. Yeah, it was for the For Your Eyes Only tour. Mm. Yeah, I saw I saw a bit of footage of that. That's a blessed moment to have been inspired by. Um, so what are a couple exactly. others? Exactly. Joey Badass for like a hundred percent. Like like I said, he he's such a good performer. I saw him live twice for the same album. Um, he freestyled to the crowd chanting Joey, 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 fucking badass. He freestyled to that live on stage. He created a freestyle based off the crowd chanting his name. All right. I see what you're saying. So that level of getting the crowd to first loop that shit, making them feel invested in that moment, caught your attention. And then he was able to create this specialized off the dome that just fit that room, giving everybody inside of the audience a memory that almost nobody else could have. Because even if you're watching it on YouTube, they were part of the beat. I, f I fucks with that exactly That's exactly good. like yeah I, i've incorporated that into my performance a few times where I, like i've dubbed in like the dj's name or like the city we're in or the name of the place we're performing in into my songs to make people feel like i did it just for exactly that moment that's fucking fantastic so that, that's a good technique honestly if y'all are listening to this for real reals listen to what he just said you create engagement with your audience and you see all the famous people doing it like montreal je parler on français for you're like shut the fuck up man nobody exactly. wants to hear that <laughs> but you know what the truth is everybody loves that dorky shit i saw lincoln park one time and they fucking brought out a quebec flag it was the cringiest shit ever but the crowd went nuts for it what are you supposed to do that's what they want yeah. People love it. Snoop Dogg's performance at Metro Metro is wearing a Habs jersey. I don't know if he likes the Habs or not. But still, I love it because it's connecting with your home. And I bet he has a jersey for every city and he comes on stage in the right appropriate Ex gear. Yep. That's exactly. Yo, y'all know that he's 20, right? So the fact is that he's making these connections that maybe some of us haven't even connected yet. And he's 20. That's pretty fucking cool. That's really amazing. So who, who are other examples that you think are worth learning from? Um, so I saw, I saw Russ live, um, okay. 
I also had the I had the pleasure of getting to meet him. And regardless of what this narrative that's been built about him over the internet, super down to earth guy. Like one of the like for someone with so much like fame and fortune and everything, like you would think he's just another normal guy. And like he, like let me let me tell you how real this guy is. Okay, I would love to hear. He it. did a th- he did a three hour performance, no openers, right? Totally himself. Like, could you imagine performing for three hours? How crazy that is. Yeah, I can have an idea. Like, Even just sitting here with these conversations, I get off the call after like three four hours, and I'm like. Oh my fucking god, I'm done. But that's not the same, right? Because we're talking like all yeah. out on stage. Like he's a performer, performer, right? Like I do like a 20 minute set, and I'm like gassed. Like I'm like head spinning, sweat dripping down my face. Like need to immediately go get fresh air so, after 20 minutes. So does Russ do like a high energy thing? Is it like? Well, because he has he has his like you know more melodic like love songs kind of where he gets just gets the crowd to vibe. But like for sure, like he bring, he brings that energy for sure. So this guy performed for three a three hour high energy show, then did an hour and a half meet and greet like with all the like with a bunch of fans who were at the show. So that's four and a half hours of his time, like like exhausting. Finishes the show, comes outside. Me and my friend are basically just standing next to the tour bus, like smoking a J, and we're like, "Yo, what the fuck? It's Russ." <laughs> the man still. <laughs> took the time after like five hours of hard ass work to take pictures with us he gave me free game fucking took videos with us like everything after already doing a meet and greet for his fans like still like he has like a true appreciation for his fans let me ask you a question and about russ because i just reviewed his last album so the little five piece Mm -hmm. he dropped um that was bait right like he said how can i get a early 30s rapper dude to actually listen to what the fuck I have to say and prove I'm a grown man. Um, you look at that feature list, it's that. You get Busta, you get Bunny, you get all the guys that a guy like me geeks for. And so I listen to it. And what's really amazing about Russ, and just to give him his props, is everything he said was really fucking powerful business advice or relationship advice or goals advice. Mm-hmm. And when he flexed his wealth, it kind of was in the sense of validation of the effort and work put in, in a sense that he can do a lot of these things. And um, I really, really respected him a lot more after listening to that last album. So I was wondering if you had bumped it or if you had like skipped over that one. Um, I, I, gave, I gave it a quick listen, but like, same thing like he's starting to like almost evolve into like a motivational speaker rapper you know what i mean i do because i listen to that shit and i'm like this is like he's trying to make a 444 level of knowledge dropping as opposed to like maybe but it was really great he's, to... he's trying to give out free game i love it um and he Pretty succeeded much. on yeah. that goal um so that's really cool. Uh, I really like the fact that you validated how chill of a person he is because he does have that reputation. But I think a lot of people are just kind of frustrated at, at how successful he is in spite of the fact that he doesn't need a lot of industry support. And a lot of it is like what you just described. So rappers and everybody paying attention, you need to understand that interacting with people is hella fucking important. And I just experienced this myself. All right. I done whatever, whatever, and I finally logged into my behind that suit Instagram because like a fucking moron, I haven't logged in in like a fucking year and a half, and I see this message from this guy, and I chit chat a little bit, find out he's in Montreal, I'm like, dog, let's set up the interview, whatever, and then next thing you know, he's like shouting me out in his fucking stories and telling his people stuff, and I'm like, wow, 
that doesn't like happen. You know how it happened? Cause I fucking took the time to have a conversation with them. So it's just like, it's those little things that like matter to people, I think, and uh, make them all memorable and shit. So I really appreciate that. Like even with this guy, I found him randomly on Facebook and one of those little argument things that was happening on a rapper person. And we just chit chatted and he was very open and very receptive. He didn't know who the fuck I was. Maybe we had enough mutual friends he was interested. I don't fucking know. But either way, he just talked to me and I thought that was fucking fresh and that he lives up to what he's describing. I, I think... Um one of the most underrated aspects of being a personality influencer artist anything is accessibility okay i think that that's such an important part it's like imagine you have a hundred thousand followers right you have a blue check next to your name if you see someone talking shit about you on the internet and then you just reply to their comment it doesn't matter if that person hates you they're now a fan they go oh my god this guy took the time out of his day to actually like he acknowledged me you mm. now have a new fan just based off the fact that you have some form of clout and you acknowledge who they are. They're going to be a fan now. I don't care what anyone says. That's a fascinating fucking tidbit. Um, do, you, do you fuck with that kind of shit? So like those people that were like real mad at you when you trolled them, you interacted with them and you converted some of them into fans? Well, it's because it's Facebook. It's all people I already kind of know personally. You know what I mean? But like okay. just that, just that they have that, uh, that quick moment of judgment and kind of like ill feeling towards you. And then just one quick reply changes that. Whereas if I didn't reply, they could have just kept thinking what they were already thinking and they would currently view me different. So you care a lot about your brand and how people perceive you with this. You think this is important? Definitely. I think, well, at the end of the day, it's like, I do this for myself cause it's what I love. But at the end of the day, if you want to make it a career, you're not getting anywhere without the approval of other people. Okay, let's talk about that more. Describe what you mean. Okay, well, at the end of the day, it's like you could be, you could have all the self-confidence in the world, right? You could think that you're absolutely the shit, but if other people don't, you're not getting anywhere. That's why, like literally, like even Ru like staying on the topic of Russ, Russ said like, uh, people didn't feel me, feel me until I felt myself. Okay. You know what I mean? You got it. You ha like it, it's so easy to to say I'm the best, I'm the greatest, without having any actual like facts to back it up. But at the end of the day, you can't call yourself the goat. It's gonna be other people who call you the goat, right? Ooh, that's a fucking interesting point. And I have to give you props. There's a high level of fucking braggadociousness to your music. You definitely floss. You definitely believe in yourself. But I also feel that you don't call yourself the best you call yourself a success you use more like that kind of language like your grind is going to be mm -hmm. good like the the hate of other people can't stop you and you're going to get yours definitely on a paper chase exactly i put the word paper chase down there because it definitely felt like you understood the power of money yeah uh, you have it 100 percent down paper chases i think that could, that's exactly what could be used to describe my music is like chase for greatness paper chase you know what i mean that that's exactly what it is so it's important to you to get wealthy in life well it's it's definitely a main goal of mine like i, I say it i tell myself every single day i'm going to be rich i completely believe in speaking stuff into the universe so i wake up one of the first things i always tell myself is you're going to be a millionaire every day <laughs> i like i know it i don't hate that um i don't hate that because i do the same kind of stuff i don't know if you know who ty lopez is 
He's the he used to do the Yep. So I watched his H3H3 podcast and he drops like two and a half hours of what I'm gonna call the freest game ever. He talks about visualization, 10-year plans. He tells his story and how in a lot of ways he just made himself available and was willing to learn about new things. So I do wanna go back though because um, anyway, so Ty Lopez just gives out free game and I like the fact that what you're saying by the millionaire part is effectively the same kind of thing. It's a visualization technique. You see yourself in the future and then effectively, you're supposed to work back to create the reality. And I think that mm -hmm. is definitely something I feel in your music, like you understand these kinds of principles. Do you read a lot? Uh, I, I used to be a big reader when I was a kid, but I could honestly say, like, I read a lot on my phone in terms of actual books, like not so much. But funny enough, the last book I actually read was Russ's book that he put out like a year ago. But like, what kind of stuff do you read on your phone then? Uh, I definitely stay up to date with like politics, the news, like stuff like that. I read a lot of music blogs and, uh, but most of it, most of it's Instagram. The, the thing is, is people who say that Instagram and Facebook isn't a reputable news source. I agree. But if you're able to, if you're an individual thinker and you don't let everything that you read on the internet, like make an opinion for you, it's definitely, it's definitely an important news source because it actually makes you think more critically than something because a book or something or the way like a piece of art's written right it's all about how you interpret it that's why it's different to every person but whereas on social media it's it comes down to how you interpret it but you could everybody has a different opinion on it and you can interact on that opinion yo honestly i love what you're saying and we got some love coming in from preach and cobia who's fucking awesome he's a, he's a great dude right there so just big ups preach for uh, joining us in the in the chat but i want you to keep talking about this tell us how you critically think on the internet let's pretend that somebody watching this is fucking grandma and they don't understand how to do this yet they still buy into the bullshit how do you make sense of bullshit on the internet okay so let's say you have a post right it's either a meme, an article, whatever. So you find this post, you're gonna look at it, you're gonna have your initial biased thoughts towards it, right? Whew. So you okay. instantly you instantly create your own opinion on it. But then you could look more into it. You could go into the comments and see what other people are saying about it. And they could give you a perspective that's different from your own. And then if you really want to know more about it, you can Google something. And then once you're on Google, that's already like, like you said, like, do you read a lot? So then once you're already reading all these comments, the actual article itself, and now you're on Google doing additional research, you're, you just did a lot of reading <laughs> and you, you get in the process of forming your own opinion on something. So for you, it's really important to like fact check and do like delve into subjects. Like you don't look at stuff and go, mm, that's got to be true. Like you just instantly go to the comments almost as like a crowd validation, like a reviews, like almost like the comments yeah. are a fucking review site. What like literally when I'm on uh, Netflix and stuff like that, I'm like Netflix should have a fucking comment section. <laughs> I, I think Spotify should have a comment section. Yeah, that's fire. Okay, let's talk about one new thing. So I saw in the news today. TikTok is now going to be testing out three-minute videos. What do you feel about the potential of a three-minute video as a, as a rapper, given your song lengths, right, versus the current cap mm -hmm. of one minute? Do you feel like there's a lot of potential to fuck with this right now if they, like, roll this out? 
I mean, I'm not uh, I'm not really on TikTok that much. Like, I've made, like, a couple of stupid TikToks here and there, but I don't really use it as, like, a forum to promote my music that much. But at the same time, like, I see, I definitely see the potential for something like that with a three-minute video. Like, you could fit so much more information or, like, you could even, like, like, a lot of TikToks are 15 seconds, right? Yeah. So you could have, like, a compilation of 15-second TikToks in this three-minute video. Huh. Like, it could just, like, that. that's what I'd be getting from it. But, like, to, to use it to upload, like, like, I use Instagram TV. Like, when I drop, like, a lyric video or a music video, I'll, like, I'll do the initial, like, hype for the song and, like, click the link in my bio, this and that. But eventually when I'm, like, okay, now I got to put it directly in people's faces and I release the full thing on Instagram as an Instagram TV video. That's very interesting. Why do you think that that is the most effective way? Do people not click the link in the bio in your opinion? Well, just like people in general, like I'm even guilty of it. Like even with artists I like, if they're like link in my bio, it's like you have to click their profile. You have to click the link in the bio. You then have to wait for the video to load. Whereas you're scrolling and it just comes up right away. You're like, you're either going to watch it or you're not. Mm, that's a really good point. So you find that basically having the video start playing gives them the chance to hear the song. And then do you find that, how does this play out? How does this work into creating engagement for you compared to like a Lincoln bio strategy? Okay. So for me, um, I think one of the most powerful things you could have is somebody who dislikes you or your music because every time you're releasing something it gives you a chance to change their mind okay um so let's say i th i would argue the people who dislike you the most are make up majority of your followers because if they didn't care about you they wouldn't follow you so the people who dislike you the most follow you or the definitely and then I, I, yeah, I would say the people, well, maybe not like, like definitely you have like a lot of people who rock with you, who follow you. But I find if like, if you really don't care about someone at all, you don't dislike them, you don't like them. You're not going to follow them because you're like, I don't really care what they've got going on. But if you dislike someone, it just makes you look like it's kind of weird if you're going to like not follow them, but then go check their page every day. <laughs> you know what I mean? I guess so. Um, I don't, I don't really check the pages of people that I dislike. I often just like get the fuck out of my life you're done so I, is that like a thing that mm -hmm. happens a lot like y'all like spy on each other and shit well i wouldn't i wouldn't say like dislike them as like a person but if there's like an artist okay who you're not the biggest fan of right you're like there are artists like famous artists who i'm not the biggest fan of but like i'll follow them because they have an interesting life right and then there's artists who don't have interesting lives but they have good music and sometimes you'll f you'd follow the person whose music you dislike more, but have an interesting life, as opposed to someone whose music you do like, just because their life isn't interesting, so you don't follow them. That is like fucking interesting. And so, basically, you end up finding these people you don't like, but they have interesting lives. Whether it's fake, whether it's real, the way they present themselves on the internet appeals to you as the consumer of the product. But. But then once they've been on my screen long enough, I end up giving their music more of a chance and wait for new releases. And eventually they will release a song that I like. And so effectively, because they're just there, you're like, fuck it, I'll check everything. And, you know, then you just get converted. You you become, you know, what's fascinating about that mm -hmm. is because it's basically how, how software gets sold.
Um, nobody really wants this particular kind of software. But then you see a bunch of ads for it that explain why it's useful to your life. And then over time, this kind of flips into the ability of you being able to find the need in it, which is kind of like finding the song. And then it kind of grows from there. So I think there's a lot of interesting in what you just said. Um, do you use anything other than Instagram? Uh, Facebook, like Snapchat, like, but like that, I'll scroll TikTok sometimes, but like, like for me, like when, when I like buy like a new outfit, right? I think I'm like, how is this going to look on Instagram? Whereas when I make a new song, I don't think how is this going to look on TikTok? You know what I mean? Like kind of, kind of in that area. But you definitely consider Instagram for your outfits and everything when you just basically everything about your visual brand is, is important. Do you post a lot on Instagram? Do you recommend a lot of posting? Do you do stories more? That, okay. Basically, a wise person once told me the best thing you could do is post on Instagram every single day because it, it's all an algorithm. Nobody's been ever, no one's ever been able to figure out the Instagram algorithm. And that's the reason why the people who are like the most famous had to pay for it on Instagram, right? Mm. Because no one could, no one, no one's able to crack the algorithm. There's, there's like the most you could do is post at specific times, but even with like the new Instagram update, you like I've lost a lot of my followers visibility like I get like half the story views I used to I get like half the likes I used to like the new update really well, changed that, the, uh, the visibility that's that happened recently like within a month yep I saw like a huge dip in my story numbers and I was a little bit like are people not clicking on it like what the fuck happened here but I guess I, it's for s- ads same thing yeah I I think that's exactly what it is because I used to get anywhere between 250 to 300 story views and now it's like on a good day i'll get like 140 and then it it really depends what it is right like what you could up engagement super easily like you could drop uh like when you tag people when you drop a location on a story like stuff like that like it ups engagement like perfect example is like people only want to see things that you want them to see so when i got like my chain the other day and i posted it it's like if I posted, oh, I'm going to the jewelry store, it's gonna get like 100 story views, 140 story views. Once I'm at the jewelry store and I have the jewel, like the actual jewelry, it's gonna get like 300 because people either love to hate or they want to see what you got going on. They want to see, they want to see like updates on the important stuff. You know what I mean? And I don't know, I don't quite know how the algorithm works, but it's. I think it really depends on like the time you post that. That's super important. Okay, so what would you say is the ideal time to post this kind of shit? I ideal is six like six p.m. Six p.m. gets the most visibility. Okay, straight up. I mean, I guess that might be relevant to the different followers out there. But have you? Did you test all of this? Like, when you do a social media, do you keep track of the numbers? Are numbers important to you? I mean, it's not what I strive for, but in terms of like the fact I want to be seen more, it definitely is important. And like, I don't, I, I'm not the type of person to sweat over my numbers or do anything for clout or like do anything specifically for Instagram. But when you look at it, it's like, it, it just shows how fake people are. Like when you post a picture of yourself where you're looking your best and like you got a bunch of shit going on in the photo, you're going to get 150 likes. You know what I mean? Like you post something related to your music, you got like 40 likes. Anything music related, 
it, it, it goes down. I don't know if it's the algorithm, but it's like Instagram wants people to see more of you than they do what you're trying to sell. So I think um, with reels, they're trying to change that. And the reason for that is one thing about social media, because fa- Instagram is owned by Facebook. And the rule on Facebook is if you link out, they try to punish you. So in a lot of sense, if you maybe um, uploaded videos, I don't know. Are you comparing uploaded videos, like stuff like to IGTV, you're saying gets like less exposure than other things or stuff that you link out? It, like that's the thing is I released my music video on on uh, IGTV. It got like 800 views, got like 120 likes, 30 comments, whatever. But then I released my lyric video on Instagram TV and it got like 30 likes no comments and like 200 views so i i feel like it really depends on like like they want to see videos of you you know what i mean they don't want to see videos of your content they want to see videos of you that's a really like i think there's a lot of value in what you're sharing because i mean i haven't done that much testing with it but um i definitely want to explore more of that because i've noticed that stuff that's in my face literally just my face does actually get shown to more people than say my book shit, which is just books which nobody fucking maybe cares about so that's like i can uh, i can see a pattern in that and especially with reels do you like reels are you happy with this tiktok invasion of instagram just for those who don't know what it is it's that it's tiktok on instagram I like the reels itself, like the, the content, like it's funny, it's entertaining. But in terms of like that update where it's like it restarts, you know what I mean? Uh, where like you don't get the full video. When okay. you watch a reel where it's not on like, because like you could go to like the reel section, right? Where you just like swipe up and down and like you right. can like, it shows the full thing. But when you're scrolling on the normal Insta feed and the reel comes up halfway through the reel, if it's not like six seconds or whatever, It'll say watch more reels and then you'll click it and it restarts the whole video. Yo, that is, I guarantee you they're going to get that fixed out because it used to be like that with IGTV and they fixed that in this update for IGTV. It was driving me nuts. But um, I think they're making a push for reels. I think that's what Instagram wants. I, I think they saw the success of Snapchat and they're just trying to like force people in that direction. And I think what you're saying validates that a little bit more because they're shoving it down my face. Anyhow, that's yep. enough of the social media stuff. Uh, but it's definitely a platform you use to communicate with people, right? Do you find a lot of people Absolutely. hit you up on Instagram? Uh, like new people, like not so much, but I use it to reach out to people a lot. Like that's how I make a lot of connections. Okay. Tell us a bit more about that. How do you find new connections? What are you looking for? Uh, well, say if, say I'm trying to shoot a new music video, I want a new videographer. Uh, I'll, uh, it's, it's like all a wormhole. Like it goes deeper and deeper and deeper. So it's like, if I see a music video, I like, I'll follow that person. I'll message them. Then I'll see like, uh, what videographers follow them. And then I'll click on their profile and like so so on and so on, kind of. So it's like that's just for video though. So you could do for anything. You could do it for studios, for if you're trying to be interviewed, anything. That's fascinating. I guess everyone's going to be using these. Do you go by hashtags or are you in the first part? No, can... like, like uh, I mean, I I'm definitely limited to what I could do being in Montreal, right? Like if you're in the states, it's different because if you're in like california and you find a dope videographer you absolutely have to work with using the hashtag like texas you could like go to texas or he could come to california and then you could work but it's like what are you really searching in like in canada it's either montreal or toronto like you know what i mean like that's 
that's that's it. It's Montreal, Toronto. So you're kind of limited to what you can do unless you're going to the States. And even then, I wouldn't even, I, I would say like me, I don't use hashtags like at all, like on my posts or even clicking on hashtags. It's all just through other people who have like added uh, the videographer they used and then you click on their profile and then so on and forward. All right. So let's go back to talking about shows. So at one point earlier, you said that you have both done a whole bunch of performances, opened up, you've met a bunch of famous people, but you also said that you've thrown shows yourself. So yeah. tell us, walk us through your performing history a little bit. Tell us how you got started with performing in a more serious way than that party you were in and how it grew into you actually throwing your own shows. Okay. So one time my friend had invited me to do a show over at uh, Blue Dog. Um, I went, it was a Tuesday night. I think I performed for the four people that I brought with me, like nothing special. Like it was a Tuesday night show at Blue Dog, like nothing was happening, you know? And after I had finished my performance, the owner asked me if I'd be interested in hosting my own shows there. So I was like, fuck me, whenever I see there's an opportunity for money to be made, I'm going to make it work pretty much. Cause like at the end of the day, uh, I'm all about the music part like music is my passion but the end goal is to be able to monetize it right so i was realizing like no one's gonna be paying me to perform even though i like i could bring a solid amount of people out like i could bring like 50 to 30 people a sh for a show okay. you know 15 to 30 people a show like which is honestly like more than most people could say like you see these people posting today saying like they got like a million streams this year right on Spotify or whatever, I've had these people for shows and they bring like three people. And I'm like, how are you going to monetize this if you can't bring people out for a show? Because that's that's where even famous rappers, that's where they make all their money from is from doing shows. They don't make shit off streams. That's big facts. It's all from shows and merch. So you got into the show game basically right away. You did your first one and you got this opportunity like right off the jump? Uh, I would say it was maybe about uh six or seven months after having done my first performance did you do any performance? and then sorry go on were you like performing between then like was that your only one or mm, like i did i did i did very very few shows probably like maybe like two or three other shows and then you started your first one that you threw yeah so the way that went is same thing. I, I did it on a Tuesday night. Um, it was free entry. All the artists who were performing did it for free. Uh, I wasn't even making that much money from it. I was basically getting like 10% of all bar, bar sales from the night. Okay. So I think from like my first show, I think I walked away with like 40, 50 bucks. Okay. You know, but st st still like good enough enough like you know like i was i was i was happy with that at the time uh yeah like first show tuesday night free entry i think we had like 30 to 40 people pull up and then the second one i did it was on like a wednesday or a thursday night same thing free entry and that one went pretty good there was like 60 people there on like a weeknight and like we did pretty well on Yo, bar sales. like we did like almost 800 dollars in bar sales so i got like 80 bucks for the night do you think and you could uh, I think uh, it's getting a little jarbly. Do you think you can uh, jump off the call and jump back on? And what I'm going to do is put up the be right back for a couple of minutes and uh, then we'll come back to it once you're back on the call.
And I think you touched on something fucking fascinating, right? Because I actually got asked a couple of questions about numbers today. It's a, I'm into data. I, it's, it's a huge part of my life. Um, and you said the numbers aren't that important to you, but you say that you can get 15 to 30 people to consistently show up to a show and in your experience, and there's no names to be said, that's not the point, uh, that not a lot of people or not as many people who claim to be doing well with the numbers they're flossing are able to get that many people to come to a show. So I want you to talk mm -hmm. about what you think is important then with regards to all of the metrics, all of the, the buzzwords around it. Break that down for us for what you think people should be focusing on. So I think more important than everything, more than uh, more important than anything is the quality of the content that you're generating, right? Because at the end of the day, uh, there's always going to be bias. Like when your best friend drops a song, you're going to like support no matter what, because that's your homie. You know mm. what I mean? But at the end of the day, how are you going to get people who have no idea who you are to jump on your bandwagon, your bandwagon, right? That's what's more important is reaching out outside of your circle. So there has to be some sort of thing that draws them in where they would be drawn by any other artist. So right off the bat, that's the most important thing is the quality of your content. If it's not dope, it's not going to do well. So what makes your content dope in your opinion? In my opinion, I think that what I speak about is different from just majority of the content that rappers would talk about. Um, may, even my flow, like it's such a mix up between like you were saying before how like uh i i personally think i'm pretty versatile so you could come to me for whatever vibe you want to feel you want to feel like fuck it let me get this money you could listen to one of my songs you want to feel like i'm a gangster like i'm a, i'm a real g like i'm a hustler that's you could get that there you want to think about uh anything love related past relationships you want to get in your fields you could listen to something that i've put out it's all about you know what I mean? Like it's harder, it's harder to, um, or you not harder to, but you limit yourself on the audience that you're going to be bringing in based off the content you put out. So perfect example is NLE Choppa, right? All he was putting out were these hard tracks talking about killing, robbing this and this. So he had his, he had his niche, like his fan base of people who liked him. And then when he switched up and went a completely different route, he either took some of those people who were rocking with him before and they no longer rock with him or they rock with him even more now and has a whole separate audience tuning in because he's a different type of rapper now. Okay, so you're, what you're saying is there, first of all, you have to have a high quality product, put the effort and make sure it's all dope. So you, you, you touch it up. And I want to yep. give you, uh, I think you're in the pocket really well. I think you really understand that flow situation. Um, and then you also made it sound like you create this versatile series of content in order to make it feel accessible. So are you about like all about being real in your lyrics or are you trying to just sell fantasy to people? Honestly, when I started out, um, well, like I would never say anything like too crazy that I haven't done. You know what I mean? Like I'm not going to talk about like guns and killing people because like I've never done that and it's not what I'm about. Like personally, like I don't, I don't like, I don't fuck with violence. I think it has to be the last option for like absolutely everything. Um, but at the same time, it's what people want to hear sometimes, you know what I mean? But that's, that's not something I'm going to talk about because it's not my reality. Right. But I would say like 95% of stuff I rap about, I've either done or it's what I live or it's just like my past experiences, right? Um, so it is important to keep it real because there has to be like a certain 
realm of authenticity for people to be able to relate to you or even fuck with you. Like no one wants to like rock with someone who's like completely fake. You know what I mean? Like, but at the same time, there is a huge lane where you got to fake it till you make it. And even a lot of the stuff that I was rapping about before I eventually grew into and now actually live like live exactly like that. Like same, like, just off the top of my head saying like uh talking about when you have like an iced out neck right everybody says that shit because it's just what you hear in rap but and i'm guilty of it i was talking about having chains and ice and this and that when i didn't have shit but then look you work got myself a chain it's part of the process right you're you like grow into what you rap about so basically you look at it like in the same way of your Instagram photos, it's okay to embellish, etc., because you know you're going in that direction. And even if it's not necessarily true today, you're not going outside the realms of existence. You're not going beyond what is attainable within your life. If that's Exactly. How, I think that's a fascinating boundary to say. Do you find that most people your age just kind of view it like that? Like, no. I would say everyone kind of takes like, like, okay, like I've said, I've never lied in my music. It's all about exaggeration and stretching the truth, right? And I find that's what most rappers do because think about it this way. Every, so many rappers talking about having killed people and this and that, when in reality, it's like, you think there's just that many free murderers? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. I get where you're coming from. I don't like. I don't want to like go into the specifics of how much of it's real or fake. Sometimes it's about projecting the reality of the environment. Sometimes it's about a lot of different things, right? So it's not just about <clears throat> a testimonial of confessions, right? Most people are not typically going on like an effort to, you know, confess to like I killed this person. I mean, there might be examples that you can point to in media, but there that's, is. That, but that's media. <laughs> Right. That is as flashy and flamboyant as you pointed out. And if you go into the comment section and you look at the nuance of a lot of situations and you do a lot of the research on topics like this, that's what I've done for a couple of years now. You kind of see it's just more complicated than that. Sometimes it really is just about fantasy in a lot of ways. Sometimes like some of these albums are just action movies in a lot of ways, you know. So yeah. it, it, I don't like to like I just want to like kind of look at it that there's just a lot of ways to approach a subject like that. Um, but I like the fact that for you and what you're sa we're saying is that the exaggeration element, is this coming from the more mainstream rappers? Cause you're following a lot of these people on the, the internet, right? Are you in touch with the underground or is it really just the more pop elements of it? No, I'm definitely in touch. Well, I wouldn't even say underground because like when I hear underground, I think like rappers like tech nine who are like legends, but never got like the full recognition they deserve in terms of their actual rap ability. Like to me, like tech nine's like underground, right? But nowadays, because there's such like a huge mainstream aspect is anyone who's doing like less than like a million streams per song, as an example, is kind of underground when you think about it. Cause there's just such like a wide variety of different genres of hip hop and like so many artists out there and so many people you can listen to. How do you feel about that? Let's talk about this. I mean, I love it because it's put hip hop in a position where I could even think to myself of being a famous rapper one day, right? But like, what do you think the threshold of numbers is for success? Like what, what, what numbers impress you? Because I mean, right now, as you said today, everybody posted their numbers. What are the ones that you think are interesting? What are the ones that impress you the most? 
honestly, to me, um, anybody could pay money to have their Spotify numbers inflated. So to me, I still respect it in the sense that like, if you had like a hundred thousand streams last year total, and now this year you have a million, it means you put work in to yourself financially and your, your brand and image overall that you made an effort to make it seem like you're bigger than you are because you want to be perceived that way. So there, like I've wasted a lot of money in my day, right? But when you put a couple hundred dollars into Spotify to be playlisted and this and that, you know what I mean? It shows that you're serious about your craft. It shows that you're serious about how people perceive you as an artist. And when you could have just gone and spent that couple hundred dollars on literally anything else. So you would recommend putting that kind of money into the ads to getting the numbers up? Well, with Spotify, it's just like playlists, right? So it could easily be real. It could easily be fake. Like you have to be, you have to be careful about what playlisting services you go with. But like YouTube ads, for example, are huge, right? Like you don't want to drop a music video and like a month later, you're like, oh, I got like 40, 40 views on a music video. I spent like $1,000 to shoot, right? If you put that extra like $100 into YouTube ads and now your music video has like 10,000 views, you can kind of like justify it to yourself. You could justify it to other people. So is this something that you do or you're just rationalizing it? Well, I think every artist should be on Google ads, like should be on the Google ads wave when it comes to music videos. It's like so important. Why? Uh, honestly, why? Because I was just saying today to somebody literally on this subject, one of the dudes in Montreal, crazy numbers, and a few of them, like straight up, it's 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 YouTube ads. Like one guy's comment section is literally, "Yo, this is the best ad I've seen." Like that's the only comment on repeat, basically. And um, when I when I see that, I go, "Okay, is that cool or not?" Like, but then I'm like, "You're saying it's really important, and that like I have music videos and I put no money into ads, and I'm fucking misplaying," is what I'm hearing you say. Well, not necessarily because I even still have like, like my most recent lyric video, I didn't do like ads for and it got like something like just the lyric video itself. It got like 60 streams in the month, right? Like, that's not impressive numbers. But my music video I dropped before that, I put like, maybe $200 into Google ads, it got nine and a half thousand views, it got me 10 new subscribers, and it got me 16 comments, just on YouTube. And that cost you 200? $200, yeah. Do you feel that's worth it? Like, do you think that you got the ROI back? But that's the thing is I've, I've always said that I'm willing to spend the money and not expect a dollar back for the next like 10 years. Like it's all an investment okay. into yourself, but even it's on all an investment end, into your, your brand and building it up. But I would even argue that just on the testing front, you did a $200 test to get results and you did get 10 subs. So that's not a complete, like it's not a loss. It's just, like you said, an investment. But having a video, okay, let's ask another question. Because I have this problem. I I, uh, I talked to this person over whatever, the COVID times, and I, I tried to show them my shit, and they went, huh, 100 views, it must be shit. And that got me thinking, actually, all summer. And so when you're saying this, do you have that problem when somebody sees 9,000 views? Like, do you like, yo, check that. And then they're but like, then I, I have a I have a video with 9,500 views, and then the one right under it has 60. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, it, it's, I don't think it's a testament to, at the end of the day, there are so many dope rappers out there who have never been discovered and never will be because it's honestly comes down to how you market yourself, how much you market yourself 
And that's the most important thing. It doesn't matter. Like I said, the most important thing, like step one is the content of the quality. But after that, it's getting it seen. If, it, if it's not getting seen, you're not going to get anywhere. So that's. So do you have any strategies outside of paid ads and playlisting that you would employ to get your stuff seen? Yeah, that I was doing it before COVID. It's get out there, get booked on shows. That's how you really make, like, I, before I started doing shows, I maybe had 650, 700 followers. And literally, when I, after I started doing shows, I think I gained between 150 and 200 followers over a year. Okay. Um, just by being out there people like after after i finish my set people coming up to me going yo like you're fucking dope like you have spotify do you have instagram and like like that's a connection you would have never made if you weren't at that show because once you can't like slide into someone's dms and like send them your music they're gonna be like get the fuck out of here like i don't really care but like when you're in their face in real life and they're forced to listen to it and they go like this is actually pretty good that changes everything shows are the most important thing so do you have merchandising that you offer? Um, I haven't gotten into into the actual merch aspect of it yet. Uh, I'm not even going to lie. I haven't done anything, but I've been thinking about it for a long time, for sure. Do you have like dream merch items that you think would represent your brand the best? Jay Schreier rolling papers, <laughs> Jay Schreier lighters, okay. stuff like that. Because at the same time, because... um like my artist name is like my actual name right okay i would still have to i would still have to make the merchandise that i'm putting out cool enough to the point that someone who has no idea who the fuck i am or knows anything about my music would still want to wear it because it's my name right like it's not like like if you're like perfect example is like let's say like the baby right so his brand is billion dollar baby if the sweater is cool, you'll still wear it because billion dollar baby can mean anything to anybody, right? But if you just have a giant, if you have a sweater with a giant Jay Schreier on the back, people are going to be like, how does that represent like my style? How does that represent me when it's just my name? Okay. So <clears throat> have you, who, what, okay. Are there anybody that like merch pops at you that are great examples of this executed perfectly that you can point to? That's a good question. I think... Per, okay, perfect example is Pop Smokes and Juice World's collab with V-Lone. Uh, describe that. I don't know what V-Lone is. Uh, well, V-Lone is like kind of like uh, like high-end. It's expensive streetwear. It was created by one of the members of the ASAP mob. They created this brand called V-Lone, which has since turned into like, I would say it's like not a competitor, but it's like close to, if not a bit lower than Off-White, kind of like on the same level. So It's a, it's a. It's a big streetwear brand. Fair enough. And so what what about the collab made it so substantial to you? So Pop Smoke and Juice World didn't have any merch before that, but then they did a collab with V-Lone where it's literally just like regular V-Lone clothes, but it has like Pop Smoke or it has their face on the shirt or something. So all they did was collab with an already established brand to make more money for both of them. Have you ever looked into those kinds of opportunities in your life? Do you have brand deals in place? I've thought about it. Like I've tried reaching out to multiple things. Like I've tried reaching out to like weed dispensaries, clothing brands, but it's like until like you're really up there, like they really want to know like how are you going to benefit us, right? That's what it comes down to. I like that you so, like, I like that you said that because I do think a lot of people 
don't necessarily see that. Like I've had that play out in my life. I started out as just being a rapper and I have a theory where it's hard to make it. Maybe when you're young, it's a little different, but it's hard to make it at my age. If you're just a rapper, like a lot of people can rap what, and it goes back to what you said earlier, what makes you interesting? What makes you stand out? What makes you whatever, right? So what I realized is if you're willing to offer rappers a giant platform to talk about themselves, they get really excited. And if you tell them we can just do it live on the net, you know, from the comfort of their own home, they'll line up and schedule. And I'm like, oh, shit, that's a stand that's different than other people's shit, right? Like, I don't know. Not to say there aren't other avenues. Like, you should totally check out 514 Online Mix and hit them up if you haven't. And just- I'm literally I'm literally doing an interview with them in December. Yeah, it's fresh. They're fucking fire people. Uh, I definitely look forward to watching that. Uh, they, they do a little more polish. I like that raw and rugged feel of the fucking uh, stream. But I, I just think a lot of what you've shared has been fascinating. So let's talk a bit about Twitch. Do you feel that something like being live on Twitch is something you can build into your brand? Do you have any open-mindedness to that kind of an idea? Uh, this is actually my first time using Twitch. It's pretty cool. I, I'm, I've never really seen a need to use it yet, but this is actually a perfect reason. But absolutely, I think it's a great way to help build your brand. Like I've seen so many rappers recently just based off because of the pandemic, right? They now stream on Twitch because it's better than Instagram Live live you can receive money from it uh even if you're just a personality an influencer a rapper anything right you can just go on twitch and play video games and people are going to pay and watch to just hear you talk you know what i mean like it's it offers a service that stuff like instagram snapchat can because it's like the real you right it's like streaming live and direct so what kind of stuff would you see yourself doing me i I would probably be uh, like a freestyle guy. Hold on, sorry, I'm just plugging my phone. No worries, man. Me, I would be a freestyle guy. Like it would basically be like, like session, like smoke session with Jay Schreier, right? Like it would just be me and a homie in like a studio setting, smoking weed, fucking around on beats. Like that's what I could see myself doing on Twitch. That's like the real me, because that's what I do on the daily. So you would just get that set up. Uh, is that something you actually fi- think you're gonna just start doing now? Like you're gonna make that happen? Well, like I do like a low budget version of all that already. Like I'll roll a spliff and then go outside and like go on Instagram live and I'll get like four viewers and I'll like preview unreleased music or some shit. But like if I had like a proper studio setting and uh, like I had time to like hype it up, like I'm going live on Twitch tonight, stuff like that. You know what I mean? It's just like authenticity is key, right? So just like being yourself, like fucking around freestyling high as fuck that's like my brand like that's me that's what people know me for they'd be like you could ask a bunch of people in montreal be like oh i've smoked weed and rapped with jay Schreier. it's like type, type shit like that you know so you find it really important to be out there and connecting with people freestyling and then but also going on lives and doing it like that absolutely so you think it, all right so let's talk a bit more about uh your music let's talk about the bag what's going on okay. on that song it feels like we start off and you're both describing being in lockdown and jail of some kind at the same point. What's happening in this track? I find it, but I also, Caleb, I think it's interesting. There's one bar that I, I really liked is when you went ahead and said, um, yo, y'all act like you can do hard time, but can't even stay inside, get high and play some video games and shit. So I thought that was like, yeah. really funny. Are you criticizing like people whining on the internet about COVID or whatever? 
Well, like, yeah, it's just like I've heard like so many rappers. They're like, I don't know what I'm going to do, bro. I can't go to the club, this and that. I'm like, fam, how could you rap about like that hard lifestyle? You can't even just stay home for a couple months. Like I did it for the first three months of COVID. I didn't leave the house like three months. Like when I say didn't leave the house, I didn't go to the store to buy a lighter. I didn't go to the grocery store. Nothing. I didn't leave for three months straight. That's nuts. Was well, Yeah. Fair enough. Um, but what, what what inspired the song? How did you get around to making that? Let's go on in the current part of your career. Um, around maybe a week or two after like the official lockdown hit, I was just chilling at home and like st- stuck completely alone with my thoughts. Right, so I'm thinking like, how could I project the way I'm feeling right now and still make it sound hard? And that's why it's like first line of the verse is "fuck a quarantine, fuck a outbreak" because I was just stuck at home and I was like. I feel like I need to be out there doing something. Like, I feel like I'm wasting my time, like, not making money. But then, like, you know, that Serb hit, and then that changed real quick. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I uh, I haven't, uh, in my position, it's been gainfully employed the whole time. I've been very blessed in that regard. So, the, I, yo, COVID was a kind of a gift to me. I'm not going to lie. Was I that? agree. So, like, I work from home, right? And that means I wasn't working from home before. I used to have to, like, get up. And take the bus, go all the way to work, do that whole garbage. I was late a lot, blah, blah, blah. Now I get to work from home, which gave me like two to three extra hours back a day. And I just fucking capitalized on that shit. So let's talk about, do you apply like time management techniques? Like how do you deal with your day? Are you structured? Are you loose with it? Well, nowadays I have all the time in the world because before COVID I was working in a restaurant. So since everything closed, I haven't had to work really. Um, so a big part of it is every time that I go to smoke, whether it be a cigarette, whether it be weed, I work on music every time I go outside to smoke. I have my headphones in. I end up standing outside for an extra, like half an hour, even after I'm done smoking. And I'd like, I have to force myself to go back inside, like to work on music. So you practice like every day, multiple times a day. Yep. I write, like I write freestyle, like at least three, four hours a day every day every day that's crazy well if i if i have if i have shit to do like it definitely makes it more difficult and when i come home like i'm tired that's why like during covid i wasn't doing that and the fucking level that i've taken it up since quarantine is crazy like i'm pumping out like two tracks a week recording at least one of them every week and like by the end of the month it's like i have like four or five new tracks that are like ready for release and what's your release schedule going to look like moving forward? So you banked up a lot of shit or like, do you think that it's worth releasing stuff quickly, shortly, big project, little project albums? How do you feel about this whole side of the life? Um, so I think music videos are one of the most important things just because like, it's like real content. You know what I mean? Like it's like audio, visual, everything. Like it's, I'm just, it's the easiest thing in terms of marketing yourself. It's a music video in my opinion. So I'm thinking in terms of how I'm going to line up my 2021 releases, it's going to be like a drop a week or a drop every two weeks, single every two weeks, maybe. So just no albums, whatever, just, and you have that. So you think it's worth stockpiling a bunch of music and then banging shit out every couple of weeks, but with a music video for every release. Maybe not a video for every release, but it's like the songs you believe in most, right? The ones you think have the most potential. And what, what do you do for, like, releasing stuff without it? Do you get, like, lyric videos done for all of them? Or do you, like, just throw up, like, a picture? Or how do you handle that kind of stuff? 
Um, majority of the time, it's usually just like you know, cover art, maybe like uh, like a Spotify canvas art. You know what I mean? So it's like you'll have like a little visual when you're listening on Spotify. But really, like, really, it's just like release it and like hope it hope it goes right. Like, it's it's all about how much money you end up putting into other people seeing it. Like, like I have a song, uh, with basically a known TikTok artist named 10K Cash. So he's actually the originator and creator of like the dance, the woe. Okay. So I have a song with him and his voice is pretty prominent on TikTok. Like he has like over like a hundred thousand videos made to his songs on TikTok. Um, so when I released a song with him, I know I'm marketing towards TikTok, right? I know like, I know like I'm going to pay creators and content creators on TikToks on TikTok to mix TikToks to the song. Cause at the end of the day, it's like, all you need is like a little upbeat, catchy hook. And it, it, that's the thing is organic streams are different from just like paid streams. Right. So when you're getting like 30,000 organic streams, if you're getting 10% of that three, of that 10,000, sorry, 10% of that 30,000, that's still, 3,000 people who could potentially follow you, interact with you, all this. And that's just 10% of the number of organic. That's why it has to be organic. So you prefer the organic strategies rather than paying for it? Definitely. I mean, most of the time, you have to pay for it anyway. But but, but even then, you're – so to play the organic game, because that's not – like I'm really fascinated by organic. Uh, I put no money into growing behind that suit in terms of paid ads or anything to that effect, right? I have put out about 700 and change videos on the main channel. So I've been at it for a while, and I made a lot of content. And not a lot of it in terms of whatever is maybe gone whatever. But over time, I got 2,400 subscribers and six patrons, and I started going, okay. So like – the, but like for me it was like a little bit of like slowing it down a bit right because i knew that i was going into podcasting and this kind of thing and like i knew i couldn't handle this kind of an environment at that point like today i can hold this down live you know live is hard you know people are watching and shit so we did it for years where we could fuck up and blip blop whatever we were trash for a while and then we got fucking better over time as we grinded it out so in a way what you're doing is you're because you've said that you basically uh, want to create a versatile playing field to play with different sounds. You pay attention to what works and what doesn't work. You have a vision of where you're going in your world. And so every release is like a step towards that goal. But you've also got enough shit in the bank that you've built up based on the ability that you practice so often. Because look, maybe not everyone has as much free time, but there's a key element to I'm sure you're faster at songwriting now because you do it so often. Definitely. I'm able to just like produce stuff quicker, gets it out quicker, cleaner, everything. And then if you're able to stockpile that kind of stuff, you're able to proceed to release it at like a two week schedule. So if you look at a webby Wednesday, that shit basically changed his fucking life. Like, let's be real. Yep. Uh, he was he he was like underground whatever, but then all he did is release a track on Wednesday. They were all music videos, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong about that. Um, most of them, at least, were the ones I saw. Um, then he ended up flipping that into an album. Yeah, he went on a fucking whole nother level. 
I swear, like I was like I opened for Chris Webby, like I was a fan of his. Okay, but tell us about that. Fuck. Um, yeah, no, that was one of the first major shows that I ever got myself. I just reached out to the guy, um, fucked with my music. Hold on, you just gave asked me, the like, promoter. You just straight up said, "Hey, what's up?" I I saw Chris Webby was coming to Montreal. I clicked on the person who was promoting that post's Instagram. I saw that they were, uh, like event coordinators and whatnot and they were the ones who were responsible for bringing artists to different cities for tours and whatever so i reached out to him by email he got back to me like a day or two later said send me your stuff i sent him my stuff he he rocked with it said how many tickets do you think you could sell i was like i could do at least 20 tickets next thing you know he uh it's like you're on the show That's and then from there that that built the connect too because he was the same person who put me on for dax so let me ask you a question. Do you think your age plays into the ability to sell tickets that many? Like, do you think being young? Well, for sure. Like, the, the older you get, the harder it is to even convince people to leave the house, right? Dude, if you ask me if I could sell 20 tickets, probably not. I think I can build a whole internet thing going on in my life. I am fucking confident in this shit to the max. Yo, I'm mad stoked because, yo, I'm sitting here learning on this shit. Uh, but I also feel like it keeps me in touch with everybody. I get to document Montreal, you know? That's fucking yeah. huge for me. That's, like, fucking the most amazing shit ever here. So, like, it's also, like, I recognize that I, I work in corporate America. And you know what the thing is? I like my job. Like, I don't exactly have any real aspiration to, like, fucking give up that. You know what I get paid to do if I break it down real quick? I get projects, which means I got a plan, which means I got to Google a bunch of shit, make a bunch of lists, make a bunch of Excel shits, look at some numbers, analyze, think, and project, and strategize, and think, and think, and read. And, More thinking. You know, like... And no, don't get me wrong. I have to have results. Like, you have to deliver. Like, it's not the tier of life where, like, you can just fuck around all day and that's okay. Because if you do that, you will get clipped. I have to provide value to my company. So, mm. but literally, yeah, I get to do a lot of thinking. I get to, like, because, yo, I could be also, on the other hand, thinking about shit at 2 in the morning on a Saturday when I probably should be paying attention to my lady friend and all that. So, that, that could be the other side of it. But for real... I think it's just fascinating because content marketing is part of my specialty. And what you've actually described is an organic social media campaign with a long-term growth investment over the course of this interview, believe it or not. Like literally, I went to classes and they taught me the shit that you have described. It's, it's broken into pieces throughout this interview. But for one thing you said uh, is basically the investment in yourself and it playing back over time. And I'm just giving this summary for the people out there who maybe didn't catch this shit, right? So I, I know you get it because you've shown that, but I also think that the people out there might, you know, just need a little bit of help sometimes. No offense to anybody who it's clear to them, but basically you invest in yourself over time. You know, this, this room I'm in, it took me a very long time to build it. I had a vision for it. And I waited. I had to save up enough money. I had to make a list of all the pieces. And then I fucking put it together. And it took time. And then we got chairs. And then we got this. And then I got mics. And then I got the second camera. Because, yo, you're, you've been talking to me on that camera. They were talking to me on that camera. So, like, you know, but, like, yo, it, it works. You know, it was all functional and practical. And here we are. And I had to buy a wire recently and fucking learn how to just nail the fucking wire to the ceiling to get the internet direct so it's not on a Wi-Fi signal. All that bullshit. But, yo, all that to say that I took the... Yo, are you with me? Did the internet really fuck around with me at that moment? Yes, sir. 
No fucking way. As I'm talking about how I have wired fucking internet, it acts like a motherfucking asshole. That's hilarious. I'll have to say that you invested in yourself, it seems, musically in the same kind of way. But what you did that's super fucking interesting is leverage the available knowledge to find the best opportunities to kind of grow in a more organic way. Like you found people you found interesting. You said, follow them. They message them. That was powerful. Anyway, I'll have to say, uh, when do we get to hear some new shit from you? Um, I just shot a music video, actually, like, uh, just about a week ago. Um, basically, what I'm doing is I'm releasing a uh, three-song project because I believe that the attention span of the average consumer is the size of a peanut. So Three songs? I like to... Three songs, maximum six minutes, like two, two minutes each song. Um, I think each song... Each song is going to have a music video. so Because basically, the reason that I don't drop projects anymore is because I find I put my best work onto a project. And then uh, you have, like, the lead single, which has a video. And, like, you use the song to promote the project. But every other song gets overlooked. Right. Which is a huge issue. So I wanted to drop a three-song project and treat all three songs as equal individuals. And drop videos for each three of them. And use... I was going to release all three songs just on YouTube, like with the music videos. And then once the music videos do well enough and I see it's getting the reception I want, I would release it as a project with a bonus track. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. So for you, it's really about testing waters then. And if that... every Everything I do is basically just one giant game of trial and error. So what are some things you've learned that you think are worth sharing with the people that are just takeaways that are powerful? Hmm. That's a, that's a really good question. Um, I've, okay, I've learned consistency is key. Don't drop some, I'm guilty of it. Don't drop something and then just be like, oh, because I just dropped something, I'm good for a while. It's like, nah, the second you apply the, the gas, you got to keep it going because you be, basically, I think the most clutch thing that any artist could do is drop music so often that they use their new music to promote their old music and vice versa. So when you're dropping a new song be like yeah this is dropping tomorrow but i got something new dropping after and then once this song drops you go be like run this up to 5k to get the next song and then you get the next song and you'd be like uh if you want a music video for this one run the last song up to 10k and you just use all your songs to promote each other there's no better promo material than your own content so do you find that effective do like people receptive to it i haven't gotten to do that yet <laughs> So this is what you want to test out in the next little bit. Yep, I want. Like I said, I think it's best to drop a song every two weeks. Maybe a video in between those two weeks, like a week apart, like for the last track. So you're using each thing you drop as a stepping stone for the next thing. And once you have that consistency factor, that's where you're really going to start seeing results. Because if one person, if someone hates one song you drop, right, but they like the next one. They're going to be excited for the thing you're going to drop after that because they want to see if it's going to be in the realm of the stuff they didn't like before or the stuff they like now. I see what you're saying. So basically, this is you almost want to create a dichotomy of love and hate in order to create excitement and keep interest because for you, that split is more powerful than just having people who like you and people who hate you. Exactly. Exactly. So you just troll people and then you're authentic. 
all at the same time? Is that basically what you're saying the main move is? I mean, I definitely keep it authentic more than I troll, but at the same time, it's like I wouldn't recommend getting into like a trolling battle with me because like I'll just troll. <laughs> That's fair you enough. Know? Are you into memes and all that good shit? Got all got love all the memes. You know what I mean? Love all the memes equally. Do you foresee yourself using memes as a way to leverage your whole success and everything? Every time I shoot a music video and something funny happens, I think to myself, I'm like, how could this moment be memed? So do you actually try to, in any way, artificially create that moment? Not necessarily artificially, but like for the sake of branding, etc. But we all know that viral videos and anything like that, it's always authentic. You can never force a viral video, right? But So I guess what you're saying is capture everything so that you can capture the authentically viral shit exactly like if something's gonna go viral it's gonna go viral but you can't go into it saying this is gonna go viral right i understand what you're saying but you also believe in having the mass amount of content out there building up the buzz over time that's fair enough so yeah i also just i also just like firmly believe that if you have a large amount of content out there if a label's looking at you right if they look at you and be like this guy dropped like four songs in the last two years like we don't give a fuck about this guy if we see that he has the workflow that he's able to put out a track a week and he has 50 songs put out in the last year and a half that definitely makes them want to sign you more just because they see the more money the more music you put out the more money they can make from you right so you believe that labels are looking for uh artists that are able to crunch out and prove that they're sustainably able to bang out a high volume of music over a reasonable amount of time consistently that's what's attractive okay here let me let me put you on to uh, a little more free game, okay? All right, my my friend uh, is an A and R at Alamo Records, okay? okay? He's he's responsible for helping a lot of new artists get signed, right, and get proper deals, make sure it's all chill. So what he told me that these labels look for is let's say like same thing, right? Like I have the track with this guy, 10K Cash, right? He's not the biggest artist. He's not going to get me famous. He's not going to make me millions of dollars having a song with him. But when you're being pitched to a label, they see that you were smart enough as an independent artist to reach out to an artist who's bigger than you and has a different market as you to try to become bigger, right? So they see like, okay, this guy was putting the effort into his career. He's serious. He was trying to build a name for himself with the help of a bigger named feature, right? It's little things like that. They look for, they honestly like Instagram followers. They don't care so much. Monthly listeners on Spotify are a huge thing. They don't care about streams. They care about actual monthly listeners. Like the amount of people you're actually bringing in each month. They don't care about subscribers on YouTube. They don't care about comments or likes. They literally just care that there's a potential that you can make the money. And that you're smart enough and know what you're doing. Definitely get where you're coming from. So effectively, build your own foundation. So do you think anybody can do this? I think anybody can do it. I mean, first first piece of advice is get your money up. Be prepared to waste a lot of money and not expect to see it back for a long time. That's the first piece of advice. I wouldn't say waste money, but put up money. You know what I mean? No, I hear you. So what do you think is a threshold of money that is required to achieve the next level in your life that you would be saving towards? Fuck, like, 
to see any form of difference, like start with 10 grand Okay. to start like a solid music video without promo without, yeah, a solid music video without promo. I'm just talking, just shooting, just editing. It's going to be like probably between 800 to $1,000, right? Right. Just to shoot and edit the video. So I'm not talking about props and storyline in the video. I'm not talking about promo after it's done. Like, do you go like that on deep my, on my music videos? Sorry? Do you go that deep with your music videos? Or do you plan on going that deep? Props, storylines, all of that? Do you think Absolutely. It's like, I, I, yeah, 100%. Like, for me, Joyner Lucas is a crazy rapper, right? For me, what made me stick around for so long and be like, this guy's potentially better than Eminem is how sick his music videos are. Did you just say Joyner is better than Eminem, potentially? I think by the time he's done... Like, okay, honestly, Eminem will always be the better rapper. Joyner Lucas makes better music. And he's taken Eminem's style and used his influence to just overall give a better product. Can you, like, elaborate on that more? I'm not going to lie. This is some dope-ass clickbait shit for me right here. And I would love to hear more of your thoughts on this. Okay, right. So, in my opinion, Eminem wouldn't even be a tenth of how big he was back then as he is today uh no like okay let me rephrase that he wouldn't be as big as he was then if he came into the rap game today okay it's the fact he was the first white boy rapper like there's no doubt eminem is one of the craziest rappers that's ever touched a microphone right right but it was more so he was the first to do something right his music itself is decent at best okay. his rap ability his well, rap ability is top notch doesn't you, get better i need you to elaborate on what that means because not everyone has the same lexicon let's say so break down mm -hmm. what you mean by that a little bit more please okay so as an artist it doesn't get more talented than eminem like as myself as an artist i could never do what eminem could do he's the craziest rapper right but in turn in terms of like if we're even going to talk like top three like best greatest of all time like eminem's on that top three in terms of actually being a rapper in terms of better music there's tons of people that have better music than eminem like like eminem is like music you like work out to or if you're like super depressed you listen to eminem right but like there's better music there's better music than eminem and so Joyner, you say, makes better songs then. And what Joyner he... makes better songs and his overall like image that he brings to the table w mixed with his creativity is 10 times better than Eminem's. Like Eminem's like Slim Shady is legendary, right? But like Eminem's best music video was probably like Stan, right? Okay. Like give, give or take like something like that, like like a video okay, with like a storyline. Okay, I see what you're saying because all the goofy shit you're not into, all the. Oh no, I like I like I like most of Eminem's music. Like, don't get me wrong, I'm a no, huge. No, I meant fan. like from a music video perspective. So like the without me stuff doesn't necessarily. Engage oh no, I I like that I like that video <laughs> for okay. sure. So he has other, good but at videos. the same time, like Joyner so, Lucas's music videos are movies. So what you're what I'm taking away from this is that the presentation of how. So what about his image you said? Okay, I want to ask more about that. What about Joyner Lucas's image? Is it that um, you feel makes well, I meant, more so, interest? I meant more like his image as like a visual artist. 
right? Because Eminem's image is definitely better. Like Eminem's like Slim Shady. Like he right. had like every white boy in existence, like dyeing their hair blonde. <laughs> I mean, it's possible that the stands may not like it, but we've established Eminem is legend. Eminem's lyricism is powerful, etc., etc. I hope it is established, everyone. Um, but I want you to still elaborate on it because I think maybe not everyone understands why somebody may think a Joyner Lucas is a better artist or interesting artist. Let's say interesting. More interesting is a safer word because you're allowed to be interested in whatever you want. Mm -hmm. Huh. Overall, just like I would say how like his come up story, like Joyner Lucas came up fucking remixing other rappers songs and doing it better okay that's what he was known for and then he dropped he, he had a bunch of crazy music videos but like when he did i'm not racist like that was the line where it was like yo this dude's like fucking like he wasn't even in the music video right that's another level of genius where you have a powerful music video you don't even have to be in the video you're narrating your own music video through the, the face of other people that's fair. The first time that was my first exposure to him was that track, and I had to Google if he was a white guy in that video. Exactly. Me too. Like, oh I, my I gosh! Knew, I knew. So he got me googling him off of that video. Okay. All right. Let's keep going with this. That's what I'm saying. Like, like I said before, like when you read up on shit, like already, if you're already googling it, you're already learning more. So. so it's so it's more important than the quality of the music, I guess, is the power of the marketing in a sense. And like, let's be real, the music video strategy of I'm not racist forcing you to Google is actually it's a marketing trick. It, yeah, it, it is art and it does achieve its goal and because it's simultaneously an art piece and a marketing trick. It's like hyper effective because that shit yeah. basically went viral. Let's be real. Oh, yeah, it went super viral. I mean, like I said, at the end of the day the the most important thing is the content the quality of the content like if that was if i'm not racist was an average song or it did or let's say i'm not racist came out without the video it would not have done what it did like the song has a great message but the quality of the content was like tenfold like the quality of the content of the music video is tenfold what made it blew up fair enough so let's talk about listenability then all right what would make you want to play a joiner track over and over again? Honestly, like he's not the type of artist where like you would play it over and over again. Like I would even say the same thing for Eminem. Like it's like the type of music you listen to in a specific vibe. Or All like right. what it's like there are artists who it's like you get exactly what you're looking out of them. Like you're looking for out of them, you know what I mean? So what about um who are people you could just like replay day and day out? Or do you like just listen to yourself? I, I that's the thing. Is so like, that's not a pretentious like, question. It's not meant to be like that. I'll just explain it mm -hmm. a little further. I have talked to people who have flat out said, I only listen to me and my camp. And that's it. We don't really listen to other people. So that's why I guess I framed it a little odd. But that's mm -hmm. where I'm going for it. Is Well, I find that's very close-minded and limits your ability to experiment or learn new things in terms of as an artist. You know? Cause I, bro, for sure, I listen. I listen to my unreleased shit like a hundred times a day. Okay. Like one, one, one second I'll listen to it. I'll be like, yo, this is the best shit I've ever done. The next, I'm like, I can do better. And then when I wake up in the morning and listen to it again, I'm like, this is still the best shit I've done. And like, it changes throughout the day. My mind state, what I'm doing. You know what I mean? Like, 
you could work out to it, but then when you're smoking a spliff and sitting down and listening to it, you're like, it doesn't hit the same as when I was working out to it. Okay. You know? But in terms of like listenability and like replay value, I don't I don't really go by artists. It's like the song, right? At the end of the day, that's that's what makes it music so beautiful is you could have fifty songs that everybody hates and then you have one song and you're like perfect example. This is a perfect example for me, okay? I've always thought Blueface was like garbage or like not, I wouldn't say like barely listenable, but like he has like, you know, like you could turn up to him at the club, but like, that's about it. He did that song with, I don't know if you've heard it with DDG moonwalking in Calabasas. Yeah. This is a really good song. You should listen to it. The second you have the chance, I recommend it. Hold up. Hold up. I can do that right now. I, I swear. What, what's it called? Uh, moonwalking in Calabasas. Moonwalking. So I, I, I'm pretty sure that DDG wrote his verse, Hold but on, it was also, it was, a, yeah. The higher pitch guy at the second part of the song? I don't know. Uh, that much. Yeah, it's the second guy that comes in. Okay. Oh, he's got like a the baby flow. Okay, I'm going to pause it now, so we're back to you. Now yeah, I know what you're talking Blueface, about. Blueface is like known for being offbeat, right? Like mm. that's what he's like known for. So DDG did that verse for him. And since then, I've been a Blueface fan. Just because just I'm not, he didn't write it. He didn't do anything. He just delivered it properly. He delivered. He he delivered it. Recorded it well. And I was like, I like this Blueface song. And I didn't really like anything by him before that. So at the end of the day, what you're saying is, as long as the song is listenable and people just want to hear it again and again, that's really what it's going to come down to. And a lot of the ego pride shit of the past days doesn't really matter anymore. Like it gets to a certain point where it's like, it's almost undeniable, right? Like, people love to hate on Drake, right? But they know every word to a song. That's true. I mean, it's true. You know what I mean? Like, it, get, it gets to a point where it's almost undeniable how either good someone is or how likable someone is. You can hate on someone forever, but you can hate on someone forever, but it definitely gets to a point where, like, even you're bumping their music and you can no longer hate on them. That's literally what happened to me. Um, I, I disliked Drake for a long time. I hated on him. But you know what the truth of the matter was? That's because I couldn't sing. Um, then I learned to sing over exactly. the last three or four years. I, I, I can't say I'm a good, like, I don't want to like fucking flex my pipes on camera right now type of singer. That's not it. But you know, when you can kind of sing along to the Drake song, it's not the same thing as when you can't sing along to the Drake song. And I discovered that that was huge for me. And now all of a sudden I feel Drake in a way that like, I understand the melodies. I care more about the melodies. And I also find that, I don't know, I have a theory. Um, and I'm trying to, I'm going to start running this by everybody I talk to because it's a new theory. Um, so music is a reflection of the times a little bit. And maybe you don't remember the olden days and the nineties and the early two thousands like I do, but it was like prior to 2008 and shit was economically thriving more. So music was harder and more depressing as a counterbalance as the world is more prosperous and everybody's vibing. People kind of almost fetishize the darkness a little bit. Um, I agree. And then 2008 happens, and let's be real, uh, a lot of the world no longer makes the kind of bank money or things like it used to be. And let's be real, as a millennial, like I look at the wealth situation and I'm like, yo, there's no houses left for me, eh? It's, it's these apartments you're selling me called a condo. That sucks. And then you guys 
damn, that must be like even worse. That's all I'm saying. <clears throat> but you grew up with Google, so you know what half the shit means. So like, I look at it like, so we have a, a hard existence in life. What's the counterbalance to that? Fun. Honestly, it's, it's a fun. I noticed that in your music, at the end of the day, you can almost turn up to every track and they're fun, regardless of the content and topic that you're delivering on. Do you feel that that is a reflection of the times that we are in? Do you think that that matters? That was, yo, that was, that really just made me think a lot because it, you're so right. Like when you have something, you're not really going to talk about it. You're going to talk about the inverse of it, right? So it's like, like you literally just said, like when life's tough, like the counterbalance to it is having fun, right? So I feel like with COVID and everything that I've written since, it's almost just like I, I didn't even take that road and I kind of just went complete snap direct with it. Be like, times are fucked up. My music's going to be just like blunt. You know what I mean? Like it's going to be straightforward. I'm going to tell you how it is. You could take it or leave it pretty much. Whereas before it's like, Life was good. There was no complaints. I'd make fun music. I'd make dark music, whatever. But now it's kind of like I'm just telling it how it is, telling my point of view, my life, everything. That's fascinating. So do you think then that basically as life gets back to more elevated points, you're going to just want to get back on that funner vibe? Here, let me give you a perfect example. I used to go clubbing a lot before COVID. Well, not even a lot, but like a fair amount. And I'd be in the club and I would like, I, I feel like I was like standing still in a like a room full of people who are jumping around, right? And I would just like look around me and I'd be like, what about this song like makes people feel this way? I'm like, I make music. Why can't I make a song that is going to make people feel this exact way when it's played in the club at this exact time? So I feel like every time I'd go to the studio, I would keep that in mind and I'd be trying to make a song that people could turn up to and have a good time to and then when i realized like how how fragile like society is as a whole where like something like covid could just like stop the clubbing from ever happening again like that music's not gonna last you have to make shit that tells it how it is so so let's talk about this this is fucking interesting um what what do you think the future of live is? Do you think it's going to be digital? Do you think it's like fuck the the stages and shit for a long time? So get on board with the the twitches and the IG lives and stuff. No, I think within like two years things are going to go back to normal. Seriously, but at the same at the same time, like you have to make like you said, you have to make music that's like relevant to the times, right? So club music isn't exactly going to age that well right now when there's no clubs to go to, and it. It just really made me realize, like, I was so stuck in this mind space. I'm trying to make something that everybody's going to like, right? And everybody's going to be able to party to. And the second that clubs closed, I realized, I'm like, I have to do what's best for me and talk about my point of view. And you either relate to it or you don't. Because at the end of the day, that's going to stand the test of time. Okay. That's really fascinating. So you went from making, like, an area or situation to realizing that the clubs are fragile, and that that kind of world can just be taken away. So now you're looking for inspiration from a deeper, more ethereal place. Exactly. Broken that down perfectly. <laughs> yeah, that's that's my respect. I, I really appreciate that. I find I made a post on Facebook today where I said, uh, old man marketing is like, mm, I'm going to release the album in like uh, three tracks instead of like a whole album. 
and young man marketing is like hmm i'm like an artist but i also make videos but i'm also like i don't really define myself in any kind of particular way plus i'm like this plus I'm, you know like it's just kind of goofing on the fact that like y'all are a little bit more versatile than we are and how we think about the marketing and utilizing the tools available to us but one of the consistent points that got brought up by the ogs was the timelessness and impact of the music do you think that music has impact these days do you think that like there's worth Absolutely. pursuing it like, do you think like there's a, a way to bang out a song that somebody's going to listen to for years to come still? Like in terms of hip hop, no. I feel like it's all been done. I feel like you could you could take you could take a style and run with it and make it better, but you're not making anything new. Like, tell me the last time. I think the last time I heard something that was just different from the norm was Lil Nas X. Like literally. Um, okay. So, in your opinion, the, the, do you think that this is a problem or a benefit? Well, I think there's all there could always be like new genres of hip hop that could be made, right? Like until a few years ago, like melodic trap wasn't even a thing, and now it's like the biggest thing in hip hop. So, effectively, do you think that there's a threat that like the? I, I'm just curious. Like, do you see the future being like? Like just a hybrid blend of like literally everything you can think of, a big smorgasbord of stuff, or do you feel like it's just going to be a series of dominant trends of newer evolutions on the past thing? I think uh, the past is going to repeat itself, and it's going to get to a point where it's like guys like YBN Corday and like J Cole and Kendrick are like, well, kind of already is at that right, where it's like you don't realize it because you hear more like mumble rap and like melodic trap shit in the mainstream but when you really think about it it's the lyrical shit that's running the game okay elaborate on that please well i would say top five artists are ones who have like bars double entendres metaphors and just hard production like corday j cole kendrick joey badass drake they're all like real artists who like care about their craft you know what i mean and they come with like real shit whereas it's like but the still like one of the biggest artists like an example is like Lil Baby like Lil Baby tells it how it is and he tells his story but at the same time he doesn't have the conventional lyrical spiritual miracle individual flow you know what I mean no but the baby's fun as fuck and I really fuck with his flow I think the way he bounces on beats is just enthralling and I put the baby on when I gotta have some energy in my life and I think he really plays that role very fucking well and the beats he chooses are just perfect again and again how much do you think the beat choice matters oh it's the most important thing yeah, i feel like um i've always said this i've always said that if you don't have a fire beat like the song's gonna go nowhere because you can have the craziest bars but at the end of the day if people can't vibe to it they can't rock to it it doesn't matter because at the end of the day it's like um the artist needs a producer as much as a producer needs the artist but to a fan they could just turn on lo-fi right they're not going to turn on acapella though that's funny you say that because i started an acapella series because i want to i actually have a bigger move attached to it i'll be honest i'll, I'll share it real quick when no I... but i i mean like in terms of like if you're gonna be like studying right or you need to focus mm, you don't okay, want to hear someone talk you don't want to hear someone talking you kind of just want to like feel the music so your lady friend Bonnie goes, beats with gun noises are the best beats. And she like she reviews classic hip-hop with me. So anytime a track comes on where they work a gun sound into the beat, psh, instant five on five for her. 
a gun sound? Any of them. Okay, here's an example. You ever watch Empire? Yeah. You know that boom, 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 boom song? And there's like a, a sound of the spinning fucking... They're like recorded and everything in the show. You can see like they spin the fucking pistol. They got the gun click. And it's all built into the beat as like the percussion sounds. They're like legit gun sounds. Okay. So any, yeah, I know, I know what you're talking about. Anytime that happens, she gets like real happy about it. Okay, I, okay, I see what you're talking about. Like, yeah, no, I, I know what you mean. Like, it, it's... uh. Beats are very important, in my opinion. Like I, I've so, something people have told me is that they credit me a lot on my uh, choice of production. What I can say is, I played your shit on the Spotify on the loop multiple times in a row today, um, and I found that I never got bored listening to any of your songs. And I think that's Thank the you. biggest compliment I can pay you. I uh, I find it nice and pleasant. I, I was doing my day job shit, right? So I felt that is the best testament of for my listenability. It's because- true. Honestly, the, the biggest compliment you could receive is just like I was going about like, bro, literally, if you could, if you could just play your music in the background and like no one says anything, like they don't even realize that it's you. It's like, that's the highest compliment. That's like if you're at a party. Facts. If you're just at a party and like your music's in the background and no one no one says like who is this like what is this we're listening to and they just like accept it accept it as like the norm like it's another rap song playing that 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 in itself is like just huge. I love that moment. I have had that moment play out in my life and it's fucking awesome. It really is. Like you just you, see what I'll do. Okay, anytime somebody ever gonna ask me in my life to be a DJ of an event with a playlist. Of course my shit's getting plugged in the playlist. And usually Obviously. it just kind of sneaks in. And you know what happens? People just talking shit. And I'm like, yo, no yeah. one's mad. <laughs> like, you like, know no what, one's you know mad. Because I mean? like, what's going on at a party and shit? They're just going to probably do no that anyway. No one's sitting there like, like <laughs> ear, to the, ear to the ceiling like, I need to hear every word of this song. It's like, nah, they're trying to have a good time. And if they can have a good time to your song, you won. And then they get stuck in their head. They go home. Or you know what I found out is actually important is the Shazam. So, Shazam's so clutch. Do you use it? So clutch. Uh, what What's cool is Snapchat has Shazam built into it. Okay, like you got to understand, I don't use Snapchat very often. So I don't, I don't really. Mm-hmm. Uh, so basically when you're taking the Snapchat, it can tell you what the but song is. Not, e- not even taking a Snapchat. You just hold the screen. Like, not even record. You just hold the screen while something's playing. And, like, a little circle will, like, spin or whatever. And then it'll tell you exactly what it is. Like, Shazam's built into it. Yeah, that's fucking fire. So you're saying a lot of people are leveraging this. And this is absolutely... Because, yo, I use DistroKid to push my music out. And uh, mm-hmm. it costs a dollar a track to get shazam right it's not like included you should use you should use uh united masters why uh you keep a hundred percent of your royalties you don't have to pay anything and it's automatically put out to like tiktok instagram music shazam everything for free that's probably very interesting i'm gonna look into that um but since i've used DistroKid, everybody i know uses DistroKid. damn are you saying is that one so free and no catches, no anything, no upsells. I mean, you could pay, uh, like a subscription base. Um, I think it's like eighty dollars for the year, and it just like gives you access to like a lot more stuff, like in the actual like United Masters app itself, and can help your music become more visible. But like the last two tracks, I didn't pay for it, and like 
got released fine. So what I'm understanding is that they make their money on upselling for promotional opportunities within their platform and recruit y'all into their database by offering the service for free. The one that pretty much rather than like they have, they have like partnerships with like NBA and ESPN and shit. And like when you pay, you can have like opportunities to get involved in the shit they do with them. Do you think that one day you would upgrade to something like that? Like it's worth doing? Like maybe like uh, at the end of the day, like getting the music out is the most important part. So right, so it's gonna always boil back to that. Um, so I don't know. Do you have anything else you want to share with the peeps out there? Hmm, it's a good question. I don't get asked that enough. <laughs> um, I would say um, on the lookout for some of my new music for sure. I got. A music video probably dro- dropping sometime uh, this month or early 2021. Um, I'm gonna have tons of new music, like like I said, probably a single every two weeks, like at least like five new music videos this year, probably an EP of some sort. Um, and when everything reopens, buy a ticket to my show. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So yeah, <clears throat> I think it's gonna be a good time to wrap it up. I definitely appreciate having you here. I've had a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. Uh, definitely let us know in the comments what you thought for the people watching on YouTube's after and whatnot. Let us know what you thought. Subscribe to the channel. Leave a comment because if you leave a comment when he comes back, we can you can ask some questions. He can come through a creep on the YouTube, maybe answer a few questions. Uh, your lady friend Bonnie thanks you for sharing your story with us. And I do think that hearing your perspective, how you th- see things is a valuable thing. So I definitely encourage you to keep sharing that kind of stuff. So you'll like the video if you did that. If you did like it, special thanks to the patrons, Ismail Kadamsi, Chris Prado, Jonathan Barnes, DJ Black Hurricane, Linda Williams, and Scribble. They're dope. They support what we do. If you're down to support the cause, yo, if you're on Twitch, you can hit that subscribe button. And if you're anywhere else, uh, patreon.com slash behind that suit, you know what to do. Click the link. You can come through. Also, links for the man down in the description of all the other videos. We are totally going to encourage you to go follow his music. Stay up to date with him. His socials will be there. As you've heard, he wants to hear from you. Reach out. Tell him how much you appreciate what he does. All that good shit. And do you have any last words before we close? Just wanted to uh, thank you for having me on the show. You are a great interviewer. Um, I hope to be back sometime in the future. Maybe we could do this in person soon. Yeah, that would be dope. But I don't know. Well, we'll have to figure that out because I'm not going to lie. Eventually. It'll, it'll happen. It, it, it'll, it'll be a while, I think. It could even be like, I don't know. When it, when it's legal, it's not even legal right now because basically. I know. My fucking apartment, you know? Anyway, but yeah, I would love to get there. I kind of have this vision of doing these in bars one day. Oh, that'd be events, Just dish, just shooting the shit and then getting like people in the crowd to like fucking ask questions and make it like mad interactive. Oh, yeah, I love that. I That's a really just, good idea. So, yeah, definitely going to have back, have some potential down the line. We can talk about all that good shit. Um, but, yo, live long and fucking prosper, everybody. Mm-hmm.